this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. We're currently in the middle of our John Cougar Mellencamp phase. And for those of you who don't know what that means... John Cougar Mellencamp, John Mellencamp, when he started his career, he started under the stage name John Cougar, and he released six albums under that name. And then he decided he wanted to start using his real name, John Mellencamp. But he built this big audience with six albums. He didn't just want to lose the whole audience by switching from the name John Cougar to John Mellencamp. So from the years of 1983 to 1989, he recorded four albums under the name John Cougar Mellencamp. So he went from John Cougar to John Cougar Mellencamp, and then he could finally be just John Mellencamp. So why am I talking about that? Because as you know, I've combined both of the podcasts here. We are currently in the phase known as Random Badassery slash Creative Minds. And then eventually the Creative Minds name is just going to drift apart. Nothing's going to change here except You will get the show that you had before with me talking to guests and every week. In addition, you're going to get episodes with me and Lamb. For those of you who heard this last week, I'm sorry. I just need to make sure that all of you know this. I don't want you guys to think that you're losing anything here. So this week's episode, this episode right now, the one I'm about to start that I'm delaying terribly, making you anticipate terribly, is an episode with Lamb and I. And then later this week, I'll release an episode with me and a friend. So stick around and subscribe. This is Random Badass All right, new mic, new voice. And oh, by the way, um, this is the first time we're in the big boy pond. This is the what? first time. The two uh two shows. Oh, same show now. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So uh yeah, how's that make you feel? <laughs> There's considerably more people listening now than were listening before. Does that make you feel uh nervous at all? Um how do I how do I put this? No, not in the way that I would think. I'm not nervous. Um, I'm actually excited at the prospect of being able to 
um, help more people. Because I feel like in, in the long run, whether it's the other show or this show, um, it's all about trying to bring positive or try, trying to help people through things. And it's not always positive. Obviously, sometimes we go through some pretty dark stuff as well. Um, but there's definitely more of a true sense of altruism. And it's not just about us. You know what I mean? Um, and, and given who I am and what my typical priorities are as a person, I feel very strongly that that will motivate me to do even better in the show. And just to, cl- to clarify for everybody listening, when he says this show and the other show, he's talking about the way things were before. Everything is this show now. Everything is here now. Um, if you're listening to this on the old on the, on the Random Badassery archive, come over to the new Random Badassery feed. And if you are listening to this as a Creative Minds listener and going, what the hell is this? <laughs> You've already had one episode of this. We've combined both shows. just makes more sense to me. It, because uh, I don't always get to sit down and talk to people in the interview format every week. So you could either sit and wait for episodes or Lamb and I are always making episodes every week. So I could just put them together and then it's magic. And that is what we call coming full circle. Yes. And for people who don't know, Creative Minds was originally Random Badassery. And then Lamb didn't have time to do the show anymore. So I went on solo and I felt I needed to change the name because it didn't fit anymore. And now it fits again. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 the difficult... See, one of the things that's difficult... I don't want to talk about this too long and bore the shit out of everyone. But um, one of the things that's difficult about doing podcasting, unless you're you know, your radio personality or a comedian, you know, someone who's used to doing this stuff already, you've already learned all your lessons. If you're not one of those people, you have to learn these things as you go along. Like, I'm going to do this, and then this seems like the best choice. And it might be the best choice at the time, but a year later, it's no longer the best choice. That's how things work. Especially, you know, like, we're not sponsored by anyone. So there's no one steering the ship. So I have to keep making decisions that seem like the best choice. And for me, I think this is the best choice for all of you to get the best content and not have to go to two different places to get it. And it just, it makes more sense for me and for you guys. So why the hell wouldn't I do it? I will say though, um, Lamb, going to feeling different, I do um, our goofiness, you know, the, the weird like things that we would do. I'd never thought about it when there was less people listening. But now that there's more people listening... I have thought about it twice where I'm like, oh, well, the first episode of you and I talking started with a conversation about flatulence. Hmm, was that a good choice? Yeah, honestly, I, I think because of where I am emotionally, I just don't give a shit. I don't really give a shit either, but there's part of me that wonders. <laughs> and and I think that I that kind of... I, I think we'll get to the point where we don't think about it anymore. Um, and I don't think that we'll be far along. Like it might be three or four minutes into each episode where we just disregard that feeling. Um, I think we've been doing this so long um, and we've been we've done it in so many different ways that the concept of either, you know, modifying our speech patterns or censoring ourselves has just completely gone out the window. Or at least I know that's how I feel. I just don't care. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. This is, if you guys are listening to this for the first time, this is kind of more of like a radio show. We've said this before in other episodes. So if you're having to hear this again, sorry. But we're just, you know, sometimes we make stupid jokes. Sometimes, you know, we talk about stupid things, but not for the whole episode. We we seem to oscillate between these like highbrow and lowbrow things. And that's just us as people. So either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. You can skip these episodes and only listen to the interview episodes, whatever. 
we're going to do this this way. And having the two shows combined, speaking of doing it for a long time, this is technically, with the two of them combined, episode 102. Jeez. So we've broken 100. That's why I bought the microphone. Because I told myself if I ever broke 100 episodes, I'd get the number one microphone. Well, I feel like from that perspective too, like there, there's a polished, there's a polished unpolishedness to us now that I think is just comes from experience and time. I mean, given the number of different iterations of shows that you've done and the many different types of things that you've done um, in order to try to communicate um, with people just in general, there's, there's, there's a sense of completeness now to the way our conversations are that I think is really interesting. Um, you know, especially in, in random badassery where we're just as comfortable talking about um, farts as we are society. You know what I mean? Right. Well, what's interesting to me, because um, there's, I don't know, maybe, I want to say about 10, maybe more episodes of you and I talking. I guess we can't call it random badassery anymore because everything's random badassery. But of our conversations where in the years I've lost the show notes. So I've been going through and slowly listening to those um, and (laughs) redoing the show notes. And what's fascinating to me is how many of the topics we talk to, do we talk about now? came up way back then and I didn't remember us talking about them. Um, and I can see the, the, you know, that polish you're talking about. I could see moments of that where it's like, Oh, that's, Oh, we did that really well there. That's the first time we did that. Well, and it's, it's kind of fun to listen to. It's also cringeworthy because you should always cringe a little bit about what you did in the past. I think. Um, well, I, I feel very strongly that we're, at least on some level, we're just constantly chiseling away at something. Um, you know, like some of the topics we talk about, for example, it's not it's not one conversation. You know, over the period of time in which we've doing this, we've been doing this. I know that my opinions have changed on on a number of things, um, as well as my thought process concerning those things. So I don't I, I don't think that it's unusual that we loop back around to many of these things because they're at least for some of the topics I'm thinking of, they're they're almost omnipresent. Um, in our lives, you know, for example, the the idea of defining what a creative life is supposed to look like, or understanding how and why um, society shapes people um, into fear based creatures that make decisions slowly or impossibly at times. You know, those things are constantly going to come up for us because I think they're things that we deal with as people as well. And as we deal with them and we fight our way through them, um, we make revelations. Um, or, or we have revelations, and we 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 find resources that that change our our mode of thinking towards a particular thing. And over time, it just becomes natural to to share that with each other because that's just what we do, right? And that, with that said, I think we need to jump right into coddling of the American mind. Oh man! Speaking of of changing the way you think, if you guys are just here for the first time, this is a book I've read. Lamb's getting around to reading it. So this will be round two on this book. And this book was powerful, powerful book. I wish I had time yeah. to reread it before today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm about a third of the way through. And I will tell you that just in, in the third that I've read, um, here's, here's an interesting thing. So I'm afraid to talk about it. It's a little scary, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, it's, for anybody who hasn't read it, it is a book written by two left leftists. I hate that word, but left-leaning professors about um, things happening in colleges. Um, but the things that are happening, you know, as, as call-out culture and um, safetyism and all of these things, they they tend to be things that also people on the left would eat you alive. 
for acknowledging that these things are happening. Um, so it's it's a scary book to talk about because of that, because uh, it's you're talking about something that is in these cases is a healthy reaction in the sense that uh, yes, we don't want people to um, feel unsafe and we don't want people to feel um, marginalized. But then there's also a line where it blows so out of proportion that it actually is destroying the tenants of the establishments um, and is no longer even achieving uh, an actual sense of safety for people. It's setting up um, a whole new paradigm. It's well, I think difficult the, the, to talk the, about. The, the clarity for me, uh, you know, the one thing, that, the through line, at least from, from my mind, because you know I work in politics, so I deal with this all the time. Um, the, the the tough part is understanding the difference between safety and challenge or, or unsafe and challenging. Um, and in a lot of cases, especially with those two terms in particular, I think the line that separates them blurs massively, almost more than anything I've ever seen, because a lot of it comes down to a, a person's particular comfort level. And I'm not talking about a societally based comfort level that has been beaten into you throughout the course of your life. I'm talking about a human being's actual comfort level if you really get down to it. Right. Um, and I know that that sounds strange, but... I think that we're offended by a lot of things because we're supposed to be offended by them, not because we actually are offended by them. Right. Uh, and we also have some sense of entitlement that we're not allowed to be offended anymore. Yeah, 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 sure. You think uh, that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not, you know, we because this has to do with colleges, we end up talking about the left more, but I see it on the right as well, is that people don't want to be offended. But what sure. they really don't want to be is they don't want to be challenged. Yeah, you know, don't don't challenge what I believe. Um, but the the why why it's so important that this comes up with colleges is because the purpose of a college is to challenge what you believe, so that you can learn something. If you can outlearn things that are wrong, and you can strengthen the things that are right. But the only way that happens through through challenge. And if you start taking challenge at other institutions, the institutions become useless. Sure. And I think a lot of, of what is defined, I mean, one of the, the edicts of the book um, or, or one of the, the main tenets is, is, is concerning call-out culture and how we so vehemently discourage challenge that at, at, at some point or another, we're going to be unable to problem solve both um, in our regular lives as well as on a, on, on a societal level because everybody has such a powerful need to maintain that bubble of, of pure safety and 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 unchallengedness if that's a word. I mean no if that's a proper way to say that. <laughs> um but you know I, I definitely see that quite a bit um in my political life. Like I mean even the politicians I work with, there's a very strong sense of what I can and cannot say. And I feel like that line gets pushed further and further every day. Um especially as you get higher and higher in the political spectrum. You know, because now I'm starting to work with um, you know, some, some local assembly members, a few, a few Senate people and stuff like that. And so from that perspective, like everything that you say has to be so carefully catered to the environment in which you're saying it, that the, 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 the genuine, there's a lack of, 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 of sincerity in politics that I don't think is necessarily defined by the politicians, but defined by the environments in which they have to communicate. Is it no wonder that people don't trust politicians though? Absolutely, but but it's only because they lie all the time. Yeah, but but it's only because they can't trust themselves. You know, that's a two way. It's not even that. It's that they they can't trust that they can make something and people aren't going to blow it out of proportions and then just ruin their whole career for one thing. 
Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's definitely like I mean, I I work with one particular assembly member, um, and I've been around him enough to know how precise he has to be uh, when it comes to how he communicates his views on particular topics. Some of which you would think are are no brainers, but you know, when it comes to being a politician, there's no such thing as a no brainer. And I used to have this this very defined sense of you know, um, politicians shouldn't be in politics if they need the office. Um, they should only be there if they, they, they feel like they can, they can do some good for the world. And that view is starting to slowly change. Um, and what I mean by that is I now feel like, especially for some of them, um, they feel like they can make such a big difference in society. And so because of that, their, their concept of, of, of being reelected, for example, isn't necessarily about their own egos, even though they do very much want to get reelected. Um, it's about, being able to continue doing the work that they do. Um, and more often than not, actually, I'm finding that to be the case. Like my Working in politics has definitely dramatically changed my perception of what a politician has to go through in order to survive in the political spectrum these days. Have you got to the section where they talk about parenting? Is that in the first third? Yes. Um, just, just briefly, though, I think I'm two sections into that. Okay, well, well, we'll hold off on that because that's a big, big topic. I mean, this the book overall is just, it's overwhelming in the scope. And then uh, by the time you get to the end, what I what I really appreciate about it, what they did is it, it, you get to a point where it's so overwhelming, it feels like it's, you know, it's hopeless. You know, so how are we going to fix this? And then they make some suggestions. You know, I mean, their suggestions might not work, but at least they leave the book with, you know, something that you can hold on to because it sure, does feel not like just presenting a, <laughs> a dramatic doom and gloom situation in which society is falling apart at the seams. Yeah, it's 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 pretty. If you read all of the books that I've read for you know the the books that I've been recommending for like the last uh, six or eight weeks or whatever, it's a pretty doom and gloom picture <laughs> overall. <laughs> That's why I've had yeah, to gear off of other things because holy Christ. Holy Christ. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I work in politics, so I get to see the real versions of that um, every day too. Like, for example, there's, there's one particular politician that I work with where um, there, was a, there was a particular housing policy that um, was about rent control. And this old couple came in and screamed at him and basically called him the Osama bin Laden of, of the housing world. Wow. Um, to which that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, it's just a hurtful statement to say. Right. Um, but I mean, that's that's what they have to deal with. Can you imagine the, the skin you have to have, the thickness of that skin in order to work in public service? That's just daunting to me. Like every every single day I see them get crushed um, and just stand right up again. You know, so I mean, I have I have a different appreciation now, I think, for politicians because I understand on a very practical level what they have to deal with pretty much daily. Um, and in some cases, you know, as, as I'm starting to work with higher and higher level politicians, basically the, the level of that level or the level of that criticism and the, the profoundness of the arguments in either direction just become exponentially larger. And I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't know how you choose that job, honestly. Yeah. Well, at this point, I don't know how you choose to be a college professor either. Oh, yeah. Jeez. You basically live under a microscope 24 hours a day. Which I did hear, I don't know if it was Jonathan Haidt himself or if it was um, 
another college professor referencing this book, but they did say that the, for the most part, most colleges are not having the same problem as the ones here, or at least not in the degree that he talks about here. It's made, it's mainly just um, a small minority, but it's just huge in those places. Like sure. I can't remember the name of the school in Oregon that fired um, Brett Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember that. Apparently it's, it's just, it's, terrifying there to be a teacher because the, everything they say is just scrutinized to every to the nth degree Ugh, too much well i you know when you start looking at stuff like this and this is very weird to say but you can understand um you can understand the appeal of trump yeah where it's like oh he doesn't give a fuck and he gets away with whatever the hell he wants to say and then you know people who support him it's it, it has to feel good be like somebody's just talking you know they don't even have to agree with what he's saying but if they support him they're like oh it's just it's good to hear somebody talking in a way that's not you know they don't give a damn because everybody else is so guarded and so afraid um i don't know that that's necessarily good to the, the degree with which he does it I, obviously i don't agree with pretty much most of the things that come out of the man's mouth. I think he's a moron. But um, I, I do think that it's probably really exciting for people to just hear somebody um, talking, regardless of what he's saying, just talking and not giving a damn in the public light because it's so rare. It's so rare. Everybody has you know these um, agents and they have these people that are sitting and writing statements for them and this is what we want you to say. And it's just, it's, it's really fucking boring. It really is because we can't get anywhere because we're all just saying things that we want, think other people want us to say. And nobody's actually getting down to conversation. And you know, what's worse is I actually, so I'm, I'm left leaning, you know, I'm pretty much a liberal and I will say that it's far worse on the left than it is on the right. Well, yeah, because inherently that's, that's the focus of the left, right? The left is focused on, um, Oh, we don't want to. We we want to make sure everybody's feelings are taken care of. And I'm, I'm not making fun of anyone. It's just words I'm saying. Or you know, like their focus is on n- nurturing people. Um, whereas more on the right is more about pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be tough. Um, so yeah. So the left is worried about what other people think. So they're always continually scrutinizing what people say. Sure. Because because uh, the left. Um, I'm not going to say whether these things are true. I'm just going to say what people purport. The left purports to support the minority. Um, So you have to protect the minority if that's what you purport, right? Well, then offensive statements and all of these things are going to be uh, things against your ideology. So you have to tear those people apart. That's what people think. Um, I don't know if that's true. I think that sometimes you can say stupid shit and then find your way and stumble this shows a perfect example we say stupid shit all the fucking time yeah we, pretty much every third sentence yeah <laughs> but, but we stumble ourselves into things that we wouldn't have thought of before if we hadn't said the stupid shit if we hadn't said things that were wrong if we hadn't tried and when, when we live in that little paste house of uh paste house that's good i don't even know what the hell that is paste when we live house. in that that little that little white box of this is what's acceptable nothing happens because it's, it's scripts. You know, it's like when you call in for a customer support and they're reading you the script and it takes you fucking 40 minutes to get to your actual problem because they got to go through their script. Sure. You never get anywhere. Whereas 
um, if somebody just said, what's the problem? And you're like, here's the problem. Shit, that sucks. Let me get somebody on that. Boom. Done. We're at the problem. We're getting there. We need more of that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's universally true too. Like we need more of that in almost every environment. Um, I, I feel like the the next... So so Trump is a dramatic overcorrection to the current... Or what the, the political climate was when he was running for office, right? Um, the political correctness, the sheer volume of, of people who were polished practice politicians with speechwriters and coaches and publicists who were defined so much by the rhetoric of their parties that it was impossible to understand where they actually stood for something. So you're right. I mean, I agree with you. As much as I loathe Trump with every fiber of my being, I can understand his appeal. Right. Um, and so, for, but, but the, the, the tough part though, is that I, I feel like it's going to flip in the other direction. And because that's, that's it for, for as much as we'd like to think otherwise, our country is extraordinarily young. So in a lot of ways, we're going through our, our horrible teenage years right now where we're just basically selfish assholes. Um, and we have these, these emotional tirades one direction or the other. So I think in, in the long run, it will correct itself. Um, and there will be a median if we survive that long. Um, but I think the next shift, you know, like I, I see that from from what I see in the in left politics now, is that we're going to go completely in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, and going back to the book, that's one of the problems with what what this behavior does is because we we keep going from extreme to extreme. You know, like sure. we never we never get anywhere because we are, like the title says, we're coddling. You know, it's like, oh well. That word might offend you. Okay, yes, words do offend. They do. We know that. <laughs> Anybody that's the, that doesn't like cursing that's listened to this show so far has been offended at least seven or eight times. Um, that's just the way things are. But that's that's reality. And we're not preparing people for the reality of the world. So what's happening is these, these people, are these human beings, are going off to college, um, believing that the world can be this manicured um, garden you know, where they're perfectly protected from anything that could offend them or challenge them. And then they go to college and then the college, it continues there. Instead of uh, changing that, the college perpetuates it and then they're released into the world. And now these are people that are voting and these are people that are running for office. And they believe these things because they've never actually lived in a world where disagreeing with somebody isn't the end of the world. Disagreeing with somebody isn't war where disagreeing with somebody is a place to start. And we've, we've lost that. We're supposed to have discourse as a place to begin, not the place to end. You know, once we disagree, this is over with. No, it's supposed to be, we disagree. Now we have to talk. And we've lost that. You know, the tough, the tough thing too is that, and I, and maybe my experience is unique through this, but like, you know, I, I grew up in an immigrant family, um, where, you know, at one point in our lives, like my entire family, including aunts and uncles and everybody lived in the same house. And we had to, we had to basically fight our way through all of our problems pretty much constantly, right? I go from that to um, a, a high school experience in which I was doing speech and debate and I was, you know, on stage quite a bit and having to deal with those challenges. And then, you know, once I go into college, I'm, I'm focusing on things like political science and journalism um, and psychology. So I've built a life craving challenge and i think that 
the experience for a lot of people is nothing close to that, which is probably the reason why in the, both the political spectrum, spectrum as well as the social, the, the social strata that I exist in, this, this idea of safety is so asinine to me um, because I, I thrive on challenge. You know, I, I thrive on having someone question my beliefs and, 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 and convince me otherwise. Because even if they don't change my mind, they have a perspective that I have not seen, you know? Right. Well, I'm trying to remember the Jaron Lanier quote from um, 10 Arguments to Delete Your Social Media. It was something along the lines of, I don't want a world that's completely safe. I want a world that challenges me. And obviously, it was far more eloquent, but I don't, I don't have the time to just sit here and search for it. Um, but anyway, we'll finish this conversation when you get deeper in the book. Let's let's jump well, on to something else. Well, a part of that too, before we exit out of this 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 you know, dive is, I think social media would be far more useful if people were honest on social media. Sure, sure. Um, I don't really have anything to say about that because I'll tell you one thing that's great about deleting the social media. <laughs> I, I don't give a shit about it as a topic anymore. <laughs> it interests me about as much as a butterfly's butthole. I could care less. That's probably more interesting to you because you don't know what a butter, you don't even know if butterflies have buttholes. Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that when I said that, but they do leave little turds, so they have to have oh, little true. stinkers. Okay, mm. so little stinkers, interesting. I feel like you just uh, found the episode title. Everybody jump over to DuckDuckGo and search those two words, butterflies, butthole, and see what comes up. I'm not going to do it right now. Okay, <laughs> so um, I have a bunch, of, a bunch of stuff, but they're all little small things because um, I just happen to have a bunch of little small things. So it should be interesting. Um, but, but, but I'm trying to... Shake things up a little bit. You know what would be a good one to jump into right now? Um, talking about blandness. Um, we've talked over the years, you and I personally and on the show have talked about um, Medium, the the website Medium and how great it was and all this stuff. It fucking sucks now. <laughs> oh, man. So really? now. It's, it's, it's like the same shit over and over again. Everybody's writing the same damn articles over and over again. No depth and just uh, same productivity tips, same business tips, the same shit over and over again. You can go in there and search and look around and you're not going to find anything interesting anymore. It's really, you know what it reminds me of? YouTube. Mm. You know, YouTube for a while, it was really fascinating. You go on, you and I had, and I was thinking about this because uh, it was like episode three or something. We had talked about YouTube and how great YouTube was and we thought it was the the future of television. It's so boring now because it's like literally the same people, the same thing with Medium, same people sharing the same information, except it's like, I, I, I know this information that this other person did, but this is my video saying the same thing. So it's like, it's like same people just with different, or different people with the same script. They're all just reading the sure. same thing, giving the same tips. I wonder why that is. Why did, what makes these communities just... <laughs> All the all the creativity gets sucked out of them. Well, I I, I go back to your algorithm issue. Um, I think too many, I think too many places are so concerned with eyeballs that they don't care about difference. Mm. That's that's kind of what my guess was. My guess was that the, you go into like Medium. We'll use for the example here. You go into Medium, and there's all these awesome articles, and you're reading this stuff, and you're going, "Wow, this guy's doing really well. This lady is really kicking ass." And then they go, I want to do that. So what are they doing? So then they imitate them. 
And then another person comes along and then they see, instead of seeing the first two people, they see the third guy. And so she, she imitates the third guy. And then somebody comes in and then sees the fourth lady. And then they imitate the fourth lady. And then this, it's like Xerox of Xerox of Xerox of Xerox. And then you just end up with this white piece of paper with little black blobs on it that you can't even fucking read anymore. And, and so the topic we originally talked about with um, the Cotillion of the American Mind is fantastically represented in what we're talking about now. How so? It, 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 it's creating, you, you want to go with so much with what's safe that you ignore your responsibility as a writer or a journalist to challenge. Right. You know, it's, I've discovered, speaking of that, a really interesting podcast. It's called um, You're Wrong About. And it's two journalists, and essentially they take these stories that we all think that we know, like the Exxon Valdez or um, Anita Hill or uh, Crack Babies or Satanic Panic, um, Roe v. Wade, and they actually do research into it. And then they come in and they go, okay, here's what we, they're younger than us. So it's, it's, there's a lot of assumptions even more for them because things were just passed on to them. Sure. Um, but they come in and they go, here's, here's the thing about, here's the truth about this. Um, like, for example, one that I found fascinating with the Anita Hill thing, even watching a documentary about her, I didn't know this. And that's, she never came forward. Really? She, she did not come forward. She was interviewed by the FBI and made to testify. She never came forward. She didn't want to testify. Interesting. She wanted nothing to do with it. She wanted to continue in Kentucky, I think it is, and just keep teaching law. She wanted nothing to do with it. So it's it's really fascinating because I, I don't always uh, agree with the assumptions that they make on everything, which is great because they challenge me. But they always bring in something where it's even if you're on the right or you're on the left. If you listen to the episode, you're going to go, I did not know that. I thought it was this. Fascinating. Wow. And that's interesting because that means that our current concept of um, victims of sexual assault coming forward colored how we saw our own history. Of course, yeah. The Anita Hill story is just, I think, I've, I've, I've read a lot about her and I watched the, the documentary called Anita at least two or three times. She's just a, a fantastic human being. Yeah, she's kind of a badass. And she's just a sweet, quiet person. Like, she's not like this... You know, that's the thing that they got wrong about it. You know, like we've all thought um, that she came forward. And, you know, if you're on the left, she was a hero. And if you're on the right, it was like she was a bitch trying to throw a a wrench in the gears of of, uh, this um, appointment. Neither are true. She got she got forced into it. And she's a hero to me because of how she had to deal with um, being forced into this thing and being thought of all these things. And living through it and just continuing to do what she loved, which was teach the law. Um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Anyways, I, that, I just thought that was a great example of journalism done right. Uh, can you imagine how crippling it is to have the specter of that follow you around, especially if you didn't ask for it? Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. It would be like being elected president without ever, without ever putting your name on the ballot. 
You're like, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, Hold no, your horses no. there. That's not what I signed up for. I'm not ready of four years of people shitting on me no matter what I do. And <laughs> I cannot imagine. I mean, I think about, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not to say that I have any real empathy for Trump at all, but I get it um, from the, like, I mean, you, you, you look at all of these pictures of presidents um, before their, their terms begin and then after, and they look like they age so much. Except for him. He's like, yeah, uh, except for him, he looks exactly the same. He looks the same. I mean, he was already old, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, he looks if you the look, same. If you, if you look at like George W. Bush or if you look at uh, even Barack Obama, I mean, the amount of gray hairs that Barack has by the end of the presidency and how many more wrinkles he has is like shocking. Oh, yeah. But also, to be fair, they're in their 40s, usually the 40s or the 50s, and it's eight years. So they move closer to being a senior. So some of it's not all stress. Some of it's just normal, natural aging of eight years. Sure, that's true. That's a good point. That's one thing nobody ever talks about. Like, I look older than I did eight years ago, and I wasn't president. Yeah, true. <laughs> I look a lot older than I did eight years ago. I have nah, no hair then. I, I don't know. I think, you, I think you look mostly the same. You know my beard is almost 100% white now, right? Yeah. That's old. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, believe me, oh, believe me, my hair is thinning, so I, I know. I, I'm, I'm used to, my entire life, I had like a luxurious, you know, vast amount of hair, and now it's it's dissipating before my eyes, and it's horrifying to me. Considering how closely tied, maybe not so much as it was like 20 years ago, but how closely tied men's vanity is to their hair, I'm shocked with all the money that's been thrown at that they still haven't come up with a cure for balding. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it doesn't seem mechanically that difficult. I'm obviously I don't fucking know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> I know about as much as the guy watching TV uh, every Sunday yelling at the quarterback knows about football. <laughs> so you're so you're not a geneticist by nature. Come on, come on, Chad. Yes, I was born. I was a born geneticist. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> you should say that. I'm not going to talk about it now because it's a big bummer topic. We'll go on to it later, but one of the things I want to talk about is CRISPR. Oh. So stick around. This will be oh, a, if we had uh, sponsors, this would be a great time. Like stick around, and then we'd go to a commercial. So let me ask you this weird question, right? Um, not what you wanted to be when you were a kid, because that's a, everybody wants to be like a firefighter or a secret agent or some shit like that. When you were twenty years old, what did you want to be? When I was how old? Twenty. A novelist. In the vein of who? Veronica Vonnegut? Mm, when I was 20? Uh, probably Kerouac at that point. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, that would have been right after I flunked out of college. Yeah. So that seems about right. Or um, what else was I into then? I was really into, this is not a novelist, but I was really into Jean-Jacques Rousseau at that uh, time too. Um, nerd. 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 Well, I mean, I like guys like uh, William Carlos Williams. I mean, believe me, I know. We're going full nerd on it. Oh, speaking of philosophy, I did mention, I wasn't didn't plan on talking about this on the show, so we're not going to go into this very long. But you haven't, I take it you haven't seen The Good Place yet? Um, I actually saw the first two seasons of that. Okay. I'm almost done with the second season. I think, the, first of all, they work in philosophy so well into a sitcom I really think that might be one of the most clever shows on television. Well, you can't really say on television. The most clever shows out there right now. 
It's so well written. Yeah, I actually don't. I actually don't disagree with that. And I'm shocked that it's so popular because it's so clever. It, it it's like going against the 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 belief that many of us have that things are getting dumber. Like here's something that's actually genuinely clever, and people like it. You know why though? It's because it's because of how it's packaged. Like you'd never know that there was that much philosophy wrapped up in that show if you're just watching it from the surface. I don't know. They have like you know like five minute debates about philosophy within the episodes. Yeah, but they're always wrapped around comedy and weird hijinks. That's true. And acting are hilarious too. Because I know plenty of people who actually watch that show um, who don't catch any of the philosophical undertones at all. That's so weird. I mean, just considering that like one of the key plot points of season one is Immanuel Kant himself. Yeah, actually, yeah, sure. So maybe they're just not actually watching the show. But you know, like Chad, we're, we're also huge, we're also huge nerds, dude. Well, I know, but and just it's like it's a key plot point that they have to learn philosophy from Chidi. Like that's that, if you don't know that that's happening, then you don't know what's going on in the show at all. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's how they're trying to get. Actually, let's let's stop because there's a whole shitload of spoilers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, show is full of spoilers. Almost every episode, you could spoil something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like that's that's a smart move. We should back off of that because there are plenty of people who are going to want to watch the show without us revealing the entire point of the show. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to watch it because I love Ted Danson. And I've the only thing I've ever seen Kristen... Everybody knows who Kristen Bell is. I know who she is. The only thing I've ever seen her in was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So I was like, I want to see her act. You never um, saw Veronica Mars? No. And really? I tried to stream it and I, it's not available for streaming. So Ooh, You're missing out, buddy. It's like two seasons also, right? Yep. It's pretty short. I think they were trying to bring it back. Um, but you know, I know, you they know how that goes. I mean, that's a, that's a tricky proposition one way or the other. She's married to Dak Shepard. That she is. And they have one of the most entertaining love lives. I mean, they're one of the few people that I actually were follow- was following on Instagram um, for a while that was actually interesting celebrity-wise. Yeah, they're like one of the few um, celebrities that I was like, oh, I would. I think that they would actually be really cool to hang out with. They just seem yeah. like real people. Yeah, they look like a lot of fun. That's true. So, um, let's see. Where shall we jump now? Oh, um, speaking of, since I brought up a podcast, I was going to bring up another podcast. This isn't necessarily a recommendation for this podcast because I've only listened to a fourth of an episode. Excuse me. Um, it's called Grumpy Old Geeks, though. If anybody's heard of... Uh, I I did not know this when I put on the show, actually. I put on this show just because I was looking in Overcast, which is a podcast app, if you don't know. And this show was always in the top recommendations. And it has, like, kind of terrible, like po- like, the art for the podcast, you know, the little... <laughs> it's kind of awful and i think it's purposely awful um but i was like what is this show so i put it on and immediately i heard one of the voices i'm like i know that voice and if anybody's heard of jordan harbinger show which is a fairly big show um his engineer or i i don't know what his actual job position is the guy that does the sound for him and helps him read the commercials is the host is the co-host of this show huh um, but it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's this show in, in sort of to, to say it, um, <laughs> to say it bluntly, it's very similar to this show. It's two guys sitting around talking about whatever that they run across during the week, um, and talk irreverently, 
But what's fascinating is I just, I put on this show and I'm like, okay, oh yeah, kind of similar format. There's a lot of shows where two men are talking to each other. And then like five minutes into it, I'm like, oh my God, they're talking about the same shit that we've been talking about. Digital detox and uh, the effects of social media. Oh, you know? man. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, figures. Yeah, it, it's funny when, you know, one week Sam Harris talks about the same thing as, as we do. And then the next week I find these guys talking about the same thing we do. Well, it kind of defines us in a sense too. Grumpy old geeks can pretty much apply exactly to us as well. Yeah. 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 I think we're actually probably grumpier than those two are. Yeah. I mean, especially now, um, I have a pretty grim outlook on life, but that's, I'm sure that will pass. You know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about this today, right? Like, so I have a lot of training in psych, um, and, you know, I always hear these stages about depression and grief and, you know, mourning and all that kind of stuff. Never really thought any of them applied to me. Um, it's the same thing as cliches, right? Like you don't really think they apply to you until you go through something in which the cliches become front and center pretty much on a daily basis. Um, and I'm, I'm almost annoyed at myself for going through the phases of grief. Um, pretty much textbook. <laughs> Didn't that get um, disproven? What's that? Didn't that get disproven? Yeah, it did. Um, and it's been modified since like the DSM-5, which is the, the manual for, you know, um, psychological disorders and things. Um, with every version of that that comes out, they even talk about the DSM-5 and cuddling of the American mind, actually. Right. Uh, like it, it changes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been modified and there's been a lot of research done post uh, DSM-4 that, that reveals different things about how and why we deal with grief the way that we do. Um, was so four this, or five the one where they shit the bed? Five, I mean, it was headed there in four, and then in five they just pretty much shit canned. Like basically, they 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 made they gave excuses, not excuses. I hate saying that because the DM, DSM four and DSM five is still a very useful resource, um, but in many ways it goes too far in in allowing for certain things. Everything basically, yeah. I, I, I want to be really like careful about how I talk social about this media paranoia I, disorder. There's like a disorder for fucking everything you can imagine. Yeah, exactly. So everybody's sick somehow, um, which fits into the coddling of the American mind, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is the reason why they. I, I assumed the reason why they focused on it in the, the, the coddling of the American mind, because I mean, there's nothing that defines that sense of creating a safe space more than um, than the than the DSM five in its current version, just because it makes people. It, it, it removes any and all accountability from people. <laughs> right. I so you can, so, so everybody's got a reason to be an asshole is essentially the easiest way to break that down. Yeah. You, um, you, you pooped your, your parents made you poop in a public bathroom when you were four. No wonder you're a serial killer and you eat people's eyeballs. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insanity. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the, the part of it that really bothers me through all of this is that, you know, with my, my time in psych and with my psych training, I greatly appreciate the, the, the actual work that, people can and need to do in order to become the best versions of themselves. You know, I mean, obviously I'm going through that with the breakup right now and, you know, for both of us, because we still keep in touch, like we still talk um, because we're, we're fucking adults and we're not rom-com or, or drama uh, people who, who catastrophically destroy relationships. Like we, we ended things as adults. We talk through a lot of this stuff, right? And a lot of it is, is understanding what defines, how do I put this? Um, 
within the DSM five, it gives you a lot of reasons um, for being okay that are not that are not your fault. And the the thing that it doesn't state, which is something I think that should be stated in anything psych related, is that whether it's your fault or not becomes your choice. In that your reaction to a given stimuli is is what determines whether or not you have done well or done badly within that given situation. And that is and that is entirely ignored. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of in a way, um, this whole trend is that it's it's kind of like in Woody Allen films where he always talks about uh his analyst, his analyst, that he goes to see his analyst once a week and he's been going for thirty years. You know, like there's there's these two ways of dealing with with um, mental issues, we'll say, you know, the mental difficulties. The the purpose of psychology is is supposed to be a temporary thing. You're supposed to work through, you know, like whatever caused your problems. You're supposed to work through them, become stronger, better, and happier. Or this isn't your fault and you're going to just be fucked up forever. So just keep coming to see your analyst. Well, I think, well, I think a better word to describe it is not necessarily temporary. Um, because, you know, obviously human beings are constantly changing. So I think the better way to put it is transient. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily bad to have an analyst or psychiatrist or psychologist for, for a long period of time. Um, because I think that you constantly need to check in with yourself. Um, it's something that not enough of us do. As long Um, as you're dealing with different shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're the same problem for thirty years, you need a new psychologist. Yeah, if you if you're if you're in a revolving door of shitstorm, then that's a whole different story. You know, that guy's just making money off you. Yeah, exactly. Then that that's literally someone punching a time clock and and buying a Porsche because of your problems. And that's Um, the huge problem people have with the DSM five is it seems to promote more of that. Here's all these problems that we can continue to treat you on that don't have clear. They're they're basically all little tiny fractures of one problem, but they make them into individual ones. You know, yeah, like, which which I actually don't even disagree with. Um, I definitely think I definitely that. I, well, well, hear me out. There's 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 room for nuance there because there's there are obviously different reasons for certain certain parts of disorders becoming what they are. Um, but what we need to do is we need to lump them much more together um, in stages, and I think that that the that current psychology, psychiatry, and psychology doesn't doesn't adapt to that well, in the sense that these three things lead you to be bipolar, but these three things are not inherently separate to being bipolar. One of the problems with having like five thousand different things to diagnose somebody is these guys and these guys and women end up spending too much fucking time trying to find the exact, you know, let's narrow it down to this little thing on the tree when this person just needs help. And they should just, you know, if it's paranoia, I don't care what kind of fucking paranoia it is. Your job as a psychiatrist anyways is to deal with people on an individual basis. Who gives a shit? Whether it's paranoia from social media, paranoia from, you know, whatever you want to say. Maybe you have dog paranoia. Who gives a (laughs) shit? It doesn't need to be diagnosed as anything other than it's paranoia. And then you well, deal with it on an individual basis, just like we had talked about with the law. You know, you deal with each case as it is. Well, I think that the problem inherently lies in 
in in being in giving i guess the way i think of it is this you cannot treat core problems with the same level of the same level of importance as the symptoms you know like if something is symptomatic of something much larger then you cannot treat the small problems like the big ones and i think that's the the where current psychology um from the way i understand it fails me um as a person who has studied it is that we are dealing with so much little shit that so much of the big shit gets dis- disregarded because there's core reasons for everything to exist you know like if, if a person has um you know a fear of commitment for example um and you re- you see it from the perspective from their life perspective you you look at a certain type of person um them having commitment problems with, like if they're committed with their friends, but they're not committed with a relationship or vice versa, then there's a bigger core problem there. You know, there's, there's, there's some kind of, of core that, that creates that symptom. And I think that a lot of what current psychology is, is treating too much of the symptoms and too few of the actual problems. Right, exactly. And I think that's one of the criticisms within the psychology community is all of these things that are in there as disorders are just symptoms. They're not actually disorders in and of themselves. And I think what happened is, well, number one, there's there's some, let's be honest, there are some people out there trying to do good work. Um, Of course. And and that can't be taken out of the picture. But I also do think that there's an addiction quality to this stuff where people just really want a name for what's wrong with them. And they want a unique name so they can go tell other people and somehow that fed back into this whole system as well. You know, it's like, hey, I, it's you know, you know, I just went and you know what? I guess I found out uh, I have burrito dysphoria. <laughs> I've never heard of burrito dysphoria. I know, right? It's just for me. Like everybody gets to wear their dysfunction like a fucking badge. And well, I mean, it, it, I think it goes back to to what we've talked about on on many levels, which is, and and, and I. Whether whether we like it or not, we're just going to reach back into the coddling of the American mind pretty often here, just because we're we're both we're both enamored by the ideas within that book. But I think identity politics is a big part of that equation. You know, like we're defining ourselves within within a, a society based on identity politics, and I think the tribe the tribe of the broken is very much a part of the the liberal mindset is that someone did you wrong somewhere and now you're just as broken as the next person and that's the kinship that you have you know it, it basically a, 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 a kinship of of sadness or brokenness that dis, that dissuades any notion of personal responsibility from the equation i think even like identity politics is a symptom i don't even think that that's the source i think it goes back to um shit what book was it uh attention merchants with tim uh tim Wu. sorry pulling the stuff from my brain and not from paper i think it's tim Wu's the author's name um where he talks about the the movement through especially through the 80s of everything all these attention people slowly realizing that what they're selling us is our identity you know sure. that's why the culmination of all of it is instagram because now you become the product yourself you are selling yourself yeah and I think that they, it, obviously any form, any problem, any issue with identity is going to come from that because we're, yeah, we're, we're trying to sell ourselves and all of this stuff and that we're the products and all of this shit. But reality, none of us have any idea who we are because we're too busy engaging with all of this ide- ideology, which isn't really ideology. You know, it's just, it's, it's things that we juggle. You know, it's like a little inane toys and games that we play. But in reality, like the going back to the conversation thing that we were talking about, 
that's where identity comes from. It's really breaking down ideas and, and being wrong and talking to people you don't agree with. That's how you learn who you are. Sure. And I, and I, I honestly think we'll correct for that. I think humanity is, is, in the long run, is smart enough to realize where it goes wrong. And even, even though I think that that change may come catastrophically, I think it will come. Like, I, I, you know, a lot, of people, a lot of people think that society grows gradually. I don't think that that's true at all. I think, I think chaotic, I'm sorry, chaotic, chaotic. Chaotic, that's a good word. Chaotic is a good word. I may write a book uh, called Chaotic one day. Um, wouldn't that be weird <laughs> if, if one of these things ends up being the one swan song that we have in the writing world that defines us? Um, Not swan song. My, swan song's the end. Well, you know, that's what I mean. Like, it'll be the last thing I write. Um, oh. I'm pretty fucking fatalistic right now. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to anybody listening to this. I, I know I shouldn't be apologizing for anything, but I'm pretty bummed out in general at the moment. Um, but, you know, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, society and how it's, how it's gradual changing nature isn't gradual at all. Um, I think that, that society is just generally chaotic. And that we almost consistently change in large chunks, most of which are typically defined by moments of extreme turmoil. Well, it's, it's always going to be defined by some form of chaos because we we have no idea what we're doing. You know, there's no yeah, blueprint. Absolutely. absolutely. History doesn't have a blueprint in the sense that, yes, things in history repeat itself, but where you're going is always unknown. Oh, yeah. And I'm not the first guest appearance. Did you hear? Wait, what was that? I said Siri made her first guest appearance. Did you hear her? Oh, that's what that was? Yes. <laughs> uh, anyways, what were you saying? Um, Before yeah, she rudely I, interrupted I think, you. I think, I think society grows chaotically. And I think that, that any notion that we may have that society takes time to... to I, I think in the long run, it, it isn't chaos. Um, but I think in, in small spurts, you know, things like the civil rights movement and, and women's suffrage and stuff like that, I think all of that is chaotic. Um, there are moments of, of extreme realization followed by intense action and, and, and insurmountable resistance. You know, like I think those things are all just inherently true with how society redefines itself every so often. All right. Well, speaking of society developing, one thing that anybody that's new, we might not know that we've talked about a lot is I hate the way that uh, people talk about ancient aliens that came down and built things because, you know, obviously these people think that the Egyptians were morons. And it just, if you were a primitive society that you were full of morons, that you couldn't possibly build these things and do these things on your own because, you know, you're not a modern human. So therefore it's this pompous bullshit ideology. Well, I found tiny little tidbit to spit in those people's faces a little bit further. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you have a real you have a real Jones for that. It pisses me off because it's it's just because, you know, like it, just because people lived 300 years ago doesn't mean they were less intelligent. Sure. Same brains essentially. Or 3000 years ago, they're still well, the same humans. Go go 20,000 years ago our brains were pretty much exactly the same as they are now. Exactly. So, one thing I was reading, there's a magazine, by the way, we're going to talk about this right after. We're going to talk about Apple News Plus. Um, but in the magazine Ideas and Discovery, which I think is made by the same people who do the Discovery Channel, um, there's a little thing about the Great Wall of China, and they're talking about the mortar that's in the Great Wall of China. And the mortar is so strong that it's been able to resist earthquakes 
for all, you know, for these 2000 years. And for 2000 years, it's been so good, the mortar, that it's prevented weeds from growing between the bricks themselves. Huh. And check it out. Guess what the mortar is made out of? What? Water, lime, and rice. (laughs) That's it. We couldn't build mortar that good right now, probably. And the ancient Chinese figured out if they, if the water is not a key component, but if you mix lime and rice together, the amyleptin in the rice binds with the lime and just becomes this super strong mortar. Interesting. So there's another point for the ancient people. Good job, China. Good job, China. Um, Apple News Plus. I talked about it last week. You tried it. What do you think about it? Um, it is quickly becoming one of those those tools that I never really quite understood how I lived without it. The magazine thing is just so fucking rad. Well, and the and the cure the curation algorithm that that comes along with it after you've read a few of the the articles, it's just unbelievable. Like I'm I'm not sure how it works actually. Yeah, it's incredible, and. I imagine if it continue if it, it gets successful, you're going to see more and more magazines jumping on. So then that ten dollars a month is going to get you even more. I mean, it's so much right now that even I, I can't even keep up with the amount of magazines that I want to read in there. I'm reading sure. like an hour a day in magazines. Yeah, when's the last time you could say that? But that's that's um, something I forgot to mention in the medium thing. Um, so medium sucks right now, but what they were trying to be is what magazines already are. You know, this 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 depth and th- this writing that's, you know, it's not as deep as a book because somebody's not putting that much in there, but that's what magazines are. And we've forgotten how incredible magazines actually are. And we really need to, like, support magazines. So whether it's getting Apple News Plus or actually going and buying physical magazines, that's where the real journalism is happening. You know, I... So I have this experience... I don't know how unique it is, but I used to go to Barnes and Noble and just spend hours reading magazines. Oh yeah, Barnes and Noble is one of the few places, at least in the Bay Area, where there's still a huge magazine rack. They used to have one at um, Fry's Electronics. Now they have like forty magazines. They got rid of like ninety yeah. percent of them. Yeah, those are horrible. Plus, not only that, but most of those magazines are magazines I didn't want to read anyway. Um, but like, I, I I used to like you know hunt through the design section because I used to be huge into graphic design, so I'd read like Emma Gray and. Like they'd have super obscure magazines too, um, right. things like 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 Emigre. Emigre was super weird. Lots um, of obscure art magazines. Yeah, absolutely. Photography magazines, just stuff that you just have no. I don't even understand how these people are publishing these things. To be honest with you, because if I mean, it's not. I'm not claiming that I'm the most well versed in these things, or I, I know um, all the great photographers that are out there or anything like that. But I don't know how in 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 the in a day and age in which print media is what it is and how expensive it is to produce a publication, how a lot of these publications are staying in business, some of which have been around a really long time. <laughs> right. It's just, I think they just have a loyal, um, I almost said listenership. <laughs> they have loyal readers um, that maybe some of them, you know, are loaded and maybe put some money into it. I don't know. Or people just, seems like for years, magazines were getting bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold. I don't know. So yeah, it, the and, and actually, I assume I assume it's like the rest of the world, where like there there's a lot of individual magazines, but quite a few of them are consolidated into much larger publishing houses. Right. 
Oh, you know what we forgot to do? Um, actually, you know what? It's kind of kind of makes sense to do this in the middle of the show instead of the beginning. We should really get down to the meat of things at the beginning from now on. Um, let's do our follow-ups now in the middle. Oh, man. Yours okay, is a yeah, big one fun. that I want to know. Did you go on a date? Yes. Kind you of. Did. Kind of. Wait, I wait, did. wait, wait. No backpedaling. Yes or no? Yes, I did. Okay. Now, why did you backpedal? Um, because it was a person, it wasn't a, a, a fresh one in the sense that it wasn't a person that I'd never known before. Is like I kind of feel like that's cheating a little bit going back into the 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 the, 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 the Rolodex, for lack of a better way of saying it, and kind of going on a date with a person that I I've always wanted to but never could. Well, you, know you didn't I mean? say go on a date with a stranger, so it's yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't I didn't make those rules inherently, but yeah, I did, and it was super weird. I bet. Um. I mean, this person, I've known this person a long time. So it wasn't, I mean, she kind of knew what I was going through. Um, she knows me well enough to, to, to know how hurt I was. And I think that's a very unique experience when it comes to going on a date with somebody. Um, you know, usually that's the reason why I said it doesn't really, in my mind, it doesn't count 100%. Um, because it's not, it's not, it's not objective. Um, there was definitely a sense of history that made that process both easier and more difficult. Um, easier in the sense that we got a lot of the idle bullshit out of the way just right off the bat, um, but but more difficult in the sense that that person understands where I am. Mm. Yeah, and I, I could and I could I couldn't fake it. You know what I mean? And I think that's 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 something that is a great lesson for me to learn. Um, through the transition out of this relationship that I'm currently in is that I lived a world, maybe it's because I was in politics or whatever other things that I'm doing, but I had pretty well-defined facades and defense mechanisms. And I didn't realize that most of them were what they were until I had to break them down. (laughs) Right. And, And that is a by the way, if you ever have to do that, that is an absolutely crippling process. Um, I've never in my life really been heartbroken before until now. And so this is this has been a situation in which I don't even have the energy to maintain the facades. And I think that um, that's very healthy to do at some point in your life. And I, if there's anything that this the end of this relationship has taught me, it's that people value me much more in my pure form than they do in my practiced form. Right. That kind of goes back to our politics conversation too. Absolutely. I can't wait for a politician to be real and unapologetic and for people to get behind that politician. Mm, technically, we have that right now. Yeah, it, but, but it also like has him. to be... It also, well, no, it has to be an altruistic... It, it, can't, be, it can't be a selfish, narcissistic moron. Um, because I, I feel like... It, like for, for example, I think Barack was a very thoughtful human being. Um, but I definitely felt like he was, he was too polished at times. And I think a lot of that was because he was constantly told by people around him that he needed to be a certain way to appeal to his base. And I feel like Trump to a certain extent is like that too. Um, I genuinely believe that he, he does not really believe more than 30% of what he actually says. Um, and so from that perspective, I think that, that I, I, I'm not even sure if you could be a politician in this day and age if you were sincere. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Well, hopefully that will change. Um, as far as my challenge, I did not do it. Um, really? I was too busy. Um, 
you know, people for everybody out there that combining these shows seemed like something that happened really quick for you guys. It took me close to 14 hours um, to move all of the episodes um, together because well, tell, tell people what your challenge was first. Oh yeah. My challenge was to take, so uh, we talked about these identity statements that we say about ourselves all the time, you know, like I, I am lazy or I am not a morning person or I'm a good person or things, you know, that we say that we don't even realize we're saying. So I had paid attention to those for a week. I was going to take three of those that were the most positive versions of myself. And I was going to use them as daily affirmations and get a little woo with it and just see what happened. If I said three nice things about myself purposely every day, if I would notice a change, I I didn't, I was just slammed. Um, And I mean, the, the a lot of it was you know like this this feed um which was the creative minds feed had only like 30 something episodes which means that 70 were in the other feed and there's no mass in border and there's no way to say move this over there i literally had to upload each file individually put all the show notes in put the correct date keep it private so that it wouldn't dump it in everybody's rss feed so they wouldn't get 70 episodes in one day which I think for some people it might have done anyways, even though it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> um, so yeah, it took me uh, eight hours the first day and then like seven hours the next day. Solid work. So I just, Jeez. I was just fried after that, um, which is one of the topics that I have on here when I say that you'll see the word computer fatigue. Um, I noticed for the first time, having done that for two days in front of the screen and then getting up and taking the dog for a walk and just realizing that like physically i felt like dog shit i just felt awful and anybody that tells you that the screens are not affecting us physiologically is full of shit because i can tell you i felt it i my heart rate was up i felt nauseous um i wasn't fully present my eyes were like fuzzy it just just everything that you could that you could feel not completely like somebody had beaten you to death but that's you know everything that could feel like a step over the hangover a hangover is how i felt huh and it is just awful awful experience to the point where i'm like whoa i don't ever want to spend that much time in front of a computer ever again i really i really feel like someone's got to write that book somebody probably has we just haven't read it yeah that's true digital hangover has got to be something that um defines a lot of the, because I, the, I think the reason why it's so pronounced for guys like you and I is because we grew up in a generation where that wasn't the case. Right. Which, which sounds like um, maybe it's, it sounds like not that big of a deal for people who were born with it. But I think it actually makes it worse for people who are born with these as normals because they don't notice the negative benefits. They think that, oh, that's just the way you feel. Sure. And because we know the difference and like, oh, I feel like crap and this doesn't feel like normal human feelings. Well, people who don't know that and they go, oh, yeah, I was just in, in front of the computer, just a little tired, you know, just a little fatigued from being in front of the computer. Like, no, that's not normal. It's doing bad things to you. Yeah. Or, or you know, I, I, I see people on trains and stuff like that just literally with their heads buried in their phones. Yeah. Um, and what that's, that's doing to their spine. Yeah, what's doing to their spine? You know, their necks are cranked over. Their eyes, their 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 pupils don't properly dilate. You know, like I I can't imagine in the long run that that doesn't cause things like migraines. I mean, that just it just seems like it would. 
you know, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not, I'm not saying that I know for a fact that it does, but I can't imagine that it doesn't have some kind of adverse effect. I was just hunting right before we started recording, was just looking to see if those computer glasses actually work. Because if they do, I'm going to buy a pair. Well, Eric claims that they do. Um, Eric's got a pair of them. Um, I, I know a couple of other friends, a couple of my other friends are trying them out as well. And almost everyone I know who's gotten them so far has said um, that you don't notice the effect right away. Uh, but definitely over the course of a week, you find that you're you're less tired, like your eyes are less strained. You know, like you, you yeah. like I, I, like even now, I feel as I'm staring at the screen that my eyes are me just too blueing into the world. Like I look up and my eyes take a minute to focus. That can't possibly be normal. <laughs> you know where I don't notice the fatigue as much. Um, obviously, if I put a lot, a lot, a lot of time in, I would. But on the iPad, I don't seem to notice it as much. And maybe it's the True Tone display and and the Retina because I mean the external monitor I use here is it's 1080, but it's not Retina. Uh, so maybe the difference between Retina and 1080, just that little bit of blur, puts enough strain on my eyes. Plus, this thing is so bright, and I can't figure out how to fucking turn it down. Even using the built-in brightness thing doesn't really do anything. Really? No, it takes it down like five percent. It's really oh, annoying. I'm thinking of getting a matte screen protector just to filter some of the light. Wait, wait. You're talking about your MacBook, right? I'm talking about the external that I use, though, which is a Dell Oh, monitor. oh, 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 oh. I got you. Yeah, yeah I get yeah. rid of that shit. Toss it. No, I can't toss it. It's like a $500 monitor. Well, no, I understand. But I'm just saying, <laughs> like, like I, I will say now that having a great screen definitely makes a huge difference. It's like, I didn't think that really mattered until I got an Apple Cinema display. And holy shit, makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this thing I mean, will fuck just, me up after a while. Well, the ability to modify the, the, the hue and saturation of the screen on a precise level to match your environment makes a world of difference. I bet. Um, one more follow-up. Your favorite one. Did you play Oxen Free? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. Next. Come on, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Only people who have been, have been around for the other show will understand why that is so funny. God, I feel like it's it's like ninety percent of the people listening to this don't understand <laughs> the history of some of these things. <laughs> oh man, like there, I, I almost have like I'm almost rebelling against myself now. Like, uh, like I'm, I'm almost going to buy it and just send the link so that it automatically downloads it on your phone. <laughs> oh geez, no, I actually bought it. It's sitting on my phone. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, I know. It's literally sitting there. Like if I took a screenshot, that's and like I falling asleep right while now, you're masturbating. Oh geez, that's a weird, that's a weird comparison, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not weird. It's uncomfortable. Did <laughs> see that one coming? No pun intended. Oh, but dumb oh, bum bum. Jeez, that's, that's horrifying. I'm I'm mad at myself for doing that. I guess I took over your bad joke for the week. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, so many people who have never heard us are just like, "What the fuck is?" This? Yeah, we're gonna lose like half the audience, but whatever. This is who. But we... we're also gonna gain like four really weird people. Yeah, wonderful, weird, fantastic people. Yeah, we love the weirdness. That's why we're here. Um, speaking of which, let's get a little weird. Let's talk about Roswell. Um, we do talk about paranormal, if you guys didn't know that. For people who listen to this show already, and I keep saying, like, if you didn't know this, you didn't know, I'm sorry for being annoying about this. I just know that there are a shitload of people listening to this right now who've never heard this. So that's on my mind. Anyways, okay. so... Roswell. Uh, one of the things, you know this, Lam, when, I, when I'm watching, I'm very skeptical about most things, especially about the paranormal. Um, I want it to be... I'm skeptical because I want to believe. 
And I, I believe that uh, if something is going to be extraordinary out there, I want it to be bulletproof. I don't want it to, you know, like, oh, well, here's this blurry picture. No. I want to see like radar and I want to see, um, you know, 4K video of it. And I want to see like just the best damn evidence that you could ever put in front of me. I want to really know that it's real. Oh man, what's that, that, what's that saying? There, there's, there's a, uh, I forget what it is. It's a, some kind of axiom or something like that. Um, but it basically states that in order for something to be inherently scientifically true, it's not whether or not it can be proven, but whether it can be disproven. Right. Well, it's like, it's like the, um, the exception proves the rules, right? Um, technically, it's the exception proves the rule. The exception tests the rule. You sure. know, it has to, for something to be true, it has to be able to be tested. It has to be, you know, it's like going back. I don't want to go into the topic, but like what we said about conversation before and we, a beliefs we've said in an episode before, if you really believe what you believe, whether it's religion, politics or whatever, what other people think that doesn't line up with that shouldn't make you feel bad and it shouldn't make you angry because you should, be, if you believe your thing is true, that's only a test. And it can only sure. make it stronger. Sure. Good point. So um, one of the things that I don't think currently is true is that I do, do not believe that extraterrestrial life has come to planet Earth in the way that you know all of these UFOlogists and all these people say. I do believe in extraterrestrial life because it's so big out there. Um, anyways, along with that, I do still like to watch and read some things that I tend to think some are most of the times ridiculous. Like I think ancient aliens is a ridiculous show. I love watching it. It's hilarious. It is. I really don't funny. agree with it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can't disagree with you there. It's actually, it's so funny. And the, and I've said this before, but the people that are on there, even though I, I, th- <laughs> I think they're goofy and they're weird or whatever, I actually like them. They actually seem like nice people. Well, for some of them too, I mean, their 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 sense of belief is so so strong that you almost have to respect that level of belief. Right? Tell me, you wouldn't hang out with that Giorgio Sukolos guy? Oh, I would totally hang out with that dude. I would hang out with him all the time. He just seems awesome. I don't have to agree with him. Who cares? No, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's reality. That's real humanity. People, is we don't hang out with people only people we agree with. Um, anyways, another show along those lines, I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's History Channel. I think this is another channel. I don't remember. It's called Hangar One. And it's supposedly... Um, oh, the... Uh, the MUFON. What that, uh, what's that? MUFON. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's files from MUFON. I can't remember what MUFON stands for. The M is for mutual. Yeah. Mutual UFO stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what they... <laughs> <laughs> not an informational program all nope, the time. not at all for and for all the new listeners that's that that pretty much defines it we just it's like a grab kind of, bag of information when we have it we share it when we don't we just flub it well you know why though it's because we don't it, it's not that we don't know the stuff at some point it's that we don't have show notes and we find that to be more interesting and it's random badassery so we just yeah. grab a bunch of random shit it's not like we're gonna do one episode about roswell and then we study Roswell for a month. We did that shit in the past with artists and stuff. It was cool, but it got old. Yeah. Anyways. I feel like I feel like every so we still have to do Edgar Allan Poe. Um, well, we can. I told you we, we can do whatever. Oh the no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm now. sorry. Not Poe Lovecraft. Uh, yeah, we never told anybody we we're going to do that. By the way. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> cat's out the back now. <laughs> we can do whatever the hell we want in this feed now. You know what I mean? So there's yeah, no rules. Um, so anyways, long, long, long introduction. <laughs> to this. One of the Jeez. things in one of these episodes, I think it's episode three of Hangar One. I think there's only one season of the show. They're talking about uh, Roswell and uh, transistors and how um, transistors changed the world because they changed technology. Um, the ability, you know, computers and all of these things, the modern world is all built on the invention of transistors, basically. Yeah. Which is all, um, as far as I know, all true. Um, so what they claim is that you know, it's a UFO enthusiast that claim that the transistor was reverse engineered from stuff that they found at the Roswell, inc- the Roswell incident. I always want to put a D at the end of that city. Roswell incident. So I'm watching this, and as the cynic that I am, I like to look things up and test them. Say, well, that's stupid because transistors probably existed before 1947. Uh, So I'm looking it up, and yes, transistors did exist before 1947, but the transistor that they're talking about, the one that did change the world, is something called the point contact transistor. So here's where things get weird for for a skeptical person. The Roswell incident was in June 14th, on June 14th, 1947. The point contact transistor was announced as an invention or discovery, whatever you want to say, in December of 1947. So from that perspective, at least, there's a little bit of leg to their story. But then you have to ask yourself, you have to say, though, let's think about this logistically. Okay, there's, let's let's assume that they, they could be right. But then you have to say, is it possible to back engineer something that's so advanced that we could not design it in six months? I think if you knew what it did, yes. Mm-hmm. And as long as and as long as the fundamental principles that govern that particular technology exist within the rules of the world that you understand, then I think it's possible. So then in this case, it definitely could be possible because we did have transistors already. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think, for example, if you were if you were at the very beginnings of designing a combustion engine, and you were shown a really advanced combustion engine, you would be able to do it. Now, see, this is this is the difference between us and ufologists, or let's say between scientists and ufologists and paranormal investigators. We just found a case where it was like, oh, well, this could be. We tested it, and it made it through our test. It's possible. That's sure. all it means. Yeah. But but these other people will say, well, that means it's true. Yeah. Making it through one test means it's true. It doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's false either. We yeah, don't know. Absolutely. But it's fascinating that it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the question of it's if of it being possible is far more interesting than an absolute yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you oh, I like, one I like that one. I actually really like that one. It's so fascinating, let's, let's, right? Let's, let's dive into that a little more. Oh, I you want to go deeper? Go deeper. No, no. As in, like, I think there's a through line here that I think is really fascinating from your perspective. Like, the one thing that I, I consistently hear from you is how much you don't like people discounting the idea that, that ancient humans, or not even ancient humans, but just past humans, couldn't possibly be as brilliant as the evidence shows. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think Roswell is actually kind of a good example of that, or the, the the transistor the transistor conundrum that you're presenting, I think, is a good example of that. In the sense that I definitely believe that humans can create 
amazing things purely because of the human capacity for imagination. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that 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 that's where that's where we've become very small in the world. Um, and I think part of the the, the safety and the, the the stuff that we're talking about in, in the coddling of the American mind limits our ability to question and problem solve. And the the best things that have come from life as we understand it or human society as we know it comes from our ability to to question the world that we live in and then define new rules for that existence as we find better ways to do things. Yes. And what I also what also bothers me too when um maybe not so much um this doesn't specifically relate to ancient peoples but uh, to something like the transistor or uh, anytime they talk about back engineering something what is a little bit insulting about that number one is the assumption that it's true. And less insulting than the actual what if that wasn't something that was back engineered? What if that's wrong? Which is sure. The, the evidence does prove that there's a good chance that, that that those things are wrong, right? That people did invent those things. How insulting to people who spent years or dedicated their lives to creating these things. And then we go, oh, we just back engineered that. And they're like, fuck you. I spent 40 years trying to create this radio, uh, radio, no, radio point. What the hell is it called? Uh, point contractor transistor, point contactor transistor. Who knows? Mm-hmm. They could have spent their whole lives dedicated to that. You know, like sure. I have a, a brother-in-law who works for NASA and there are things that he's um, maybe not necessarily invented himself, but he's been part of, you know, he's made parts of things that he, you know, they were completely out of his own mind that he spent months and months on that were parts of things that went out that became part of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Like a, a certain kind of satellite, I think was the story he was telling me. He's like, he's read conspiracy theories. Like, oh, that was back engineered. And he's like, no, it wasn't because I spent like four years on that. And mm. that's, that's, that's kind of what's, what's insulting about that assumption is it's insulting to the people who dedicate their lives to these things. Sure. Just as, just as insulting as if we stole technology from somebody else and claimed it as our own. Sure. That, w- that would be just as insulting. Okay. Uh, why don't you pick one of the remaining topics? Because they're all kind of random and you don't really know what they mean anyways. Because <laughs> well, I just put the titles. Hmm. All right. Let me take a look here. So, so talk amongst yourself for like 30 seconds. You know what? You know what while, you, while you look at the, the three, I'll go into the Apple ecosystem matters thing because um, it's technology. So it's a good transition. And then you pick one of the three that remains. Okay. Um, or one from your list if you want to. You, you tend mm. to avoid yours for some reason. Yeah, I mean, um, for now, anyway. Um, okay, so go ahead. The Apple ecosystem thing. So it's a basic story about my laptop, which is a 2017 MacBook Pro without the fancy touch bar because it was too much money for something that I probably wasn't going to use. Anyways, um, for some dumbass reason, I don't know why, even though I've done this for everything I've ever bought, I didn't get Apple Care on it. Um, I must have planned on getting it later and forgot, whatever. So I had to take it in. There's this firmware update for this, the solid-state drive, whatever. That's covered. It's no big deal. So I go in, and while I'm in there, I talk to him about my fan being different. And that's a real trigger warning. And that's a real useful case for that. And I just sure. wanted to clarify that. In case anybody out there suffers from these things and thinks that we've been diminishing any of that, or somebody didn't know about that, and we've been giving them the impression of something false, we're talking about it used 
beyond the actual clinical usage of the term and used as like this common term that people throw around all the time to prevent themselves from being offended. Totally sure. different things. Yeah, and, and it's it's an important distinction too. I mean, I, I work with, um, I actually work with PTSD victims. Um, in particular, a good friend of mine um, who I spend a, a decent amount of time with is 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 putting together a nonprofit organization that definitely focuses or that actually focuses on PTSD for um, soldiers and um, pararescuemen, and so. That is definitely a, a very important distinction to draw, and I'm glad that you actually did that. What led you to doing that, by the way? Sarah text messaged me because it's something that came up in the, converse, in the conversation. Sorry, I keep mentioning this episode. Um, but the conversation with Eric on Creative Minds, we talked about trigger warnings. Um, and I did the same thing there. I made the assumption that people understood that I wasn't talking about clinical um, trigger warnings for people with actual um, mental health problems. Got it. And that I just assumed everybody knew I was making, essentially making fun of, you know, college students who walk around and don't want to hear certain words. Tough shit. Sure. <laughs> Toughen up. That's what I say to them. People with actual mental problems, I hope you feel better. And I hope that you're getting help. Totally different things. And I, it's hard when you do this stuff because, you know, you guys hear the recordings of the stuff. But for me, my experience and for Lamb's experience and for the experience of my guests on the other show, it's live. <laughs> we're living in the moment you know we don't we're not writing this out and planning what we're going to say and then making sure we negotiate everything perfectly so it happens yeah. i'm just glad that this medium is a way you can come back and go hey by the way let me add context to something remember when we actually planned out our shows <laughs> yeah that was rough yeah it was such a different experience i mean it's I, we talk about this offline and online quite a bit um, but the experience for producing the show is so different. <laughs> yeah. It's so much more fun now. By the way, we still have to do bonus episodes. I really do wish that, that other people could have this experience because it's such a rewarding one. Um, you know, the ability to, to share openly with a friend um, in an ongoing conversation that, you know, even, even as I'm saying this, I realize that this is the way all interactions used to be. Yeah. Absolutely, and and that and that that's what's wrong with the world. <laughs> that's what made me start thinking about the phone thing because I'm like, that's essentially what you and I are doing. We're just sharing it with other people. Um, you know, like for example, everybody listening, I have these lists. If you actually knew me in real life, or if you actually know me in real life, you know this. I would probably have this list if I was meeting you for coffee. <laughs> sure. Because there are things that I want to tell people and I have to remind myself, oh, talk to the person about this. Talk to I make lists like this because as strange and introverted and antisocial as I can be, I love conversation. I love it. And I, I, you, do you think you're introverted? I know I'm introverted. I don't know, man. You say I don't that. get any energy from being around people. I get tired. Yeah, but you also have such. You also get such a kick out of of having conversations with individuals and teaching people stuff. Oh, totally. I'm not shy. I'm introverted. Those are two different things. Mm. Shy is like I'm, you know, I'm bashful or I'm not able to interact with people. Um, I'm not shy. I can be at certain points with strangers, um, but introverted is where you get your energy. 
I don't get my energy from having conversations with people. I enjoy it. But when I'm done, I'm exhausted. Interesting. Whereas I never if I stay home, I don't get tired. What's that? Yeah, I, I guess I never get to see that. Like, I don't see the aftermath. That's why anytime where I'm like, I got, I'm leaving. That's why I'm leaving because I'm, my uh, tank's empty. You know, I'm, after after knowing you for a decade, I finally understand that now. Mm. I didn't know that before. Well, yeah, I don't announce it <laughs> because it sounds bad. Be like, I am. I don't have the energy to talk to you people anymore. <laughs> it sounds insulting, but it's literally like I don't. I, I lose the ability to form sentences. It's very strange. Huh. I'll, I'll get, I, you know, I, I guess I, I guess I have seen a little bit of that, but I never knew that that was the reason why. Well, for many of the years that you knew me, I was able to um, stimulate those conversations longer by drinking because of sugar oh, and caffeine. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I could spin off longer. But now I get tired very fast. And like um, when we went to um, the Limon Salon anniversary party, right? Yeah. When we left, I was empty. Remember when we went back in the hallway and everybody's drunk and I was like, let's, let's go. I just yep. couldn't deal with it. I was done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that happened really fast too. Yeah. It's, it's literally, there's no warning that, you know, like there's no, um, you're running low on gas. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like just empty. Suddenly out of gas. Oh shit. Time to, time to get off the freeway before you get smacked. Yep. Slow to start, fast to end. <laughs> oh, that also sounded slightly dirty. Yeah, we, we tend to do that. That could be, if we were to give a nickname to the show, it could be Slightly Dirty. Uh, think about it, Slightly Dirty. I'm going to call this episode Slightly Dirty. Oh, man. <laughs> no. So, so, so after, how long have you had the dog now? A uh, little over a month. That's actually um, on my list. So, and it's actually been on my list for the last couple of weeks. I kind of wanted you to give progress reports as to how that's that's changing your 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 mood and anxiety levels. Um, so, oh, that's fantastic for anxiety. Yeah. So, so let me ask you that now. Like, what do you feel has has changed in your anxiety, and how? Um, I don't have enough time to spin internally. Um, which is a really fancy way of saying I don't have enough time to think about myself too much. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been having like these deeper thoughts and I keep physically grabbing the notebook because I'm feeling really bonded to this notebook because of how much I've been writing in it. But as far as um, hypochondria and anxiety, that type of self-focused thought, I don't really have a lot of... I don't know why. I don't feel like I have less time but I just don't end up in those places anymore. And I think it's just because it's a constant reminder of this living thing that's around me, that loves me and is dependent upon me. Um, I can't spin off too far. You know, maybe, maybe for all I know, like in some some conscious way, I'm starting to go there, but then that's about the point where he jumps on my lap or where he has to go to the bathroom or where it's time to feed him or I got to take him for a walk or I just want to play with him because he looks so cute, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there's also the, the, the he makes me laugh and he makes me smile. So those things are putting chemicals into my body that work against anxiety. Interesting. So there's a physical component and a, so there's all kinds of components in that. There's a social component, there's a physical component, and there's, there's a, a task oriented component as well. Yeah. Like a nurtured task. Yeah, sure. Sure. 
That's so really fascinating. It, it messes with your self-importance because it sounds weird because this thing is depending on you. You think that you would assume that makes you feel more important, but it, you don't think about it that way. You're just like this, you know, it's like a duty thing, but like a, a prideful duty. Yeah, especially if he has to go to the bathroom because that's actual duty. Ah, uh, <laughs> using puns, I don't like it. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, in in a weird kind of way, a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight, um, seemingly unrelated but kind of related, um, is that there's a certain sense of of self importance that we just have to remove from all of this. Right. It, that's the that's the biggest lie that social media has sold us. Yeah. Um, that we're more important than we are in a specific way. Um, I don't, I don't know how to say that clearer. Do you, do you get what I'm saying there? And maybe able to explain. I, I get what you mean. Um, and I've definitely fallen into that trap, especially given that I was, you know, a photographer. Um, so my pictures, I, I was having this, this conversation with our friend, Brittany, at some point, uh, Brittany Bowen, the photographer, um, where she, we, we talked about how because we're photographers, there's a certain expectation of quality that comes from our photos. Um, and I definitely had a sense of, of, of importance that came from those photos at some point. Like, you know, I had to appear a certain level of cool. And so that created almost an alter ego for me that, that had its own, its own built-in importance um, that was separate from my person. Um, and that was a very weird thing to reconcile when I finally realized that it was happening. That's a that's a perfect way to say it. It's it's um it places an importance on image. Sure, which is a pun as well, since you're talking about photos. <laughs> um, I figured I at least had to bat one back at you. Um, but what is important? is actually the part of self-importance is actually important is how we show up in other people's lives. Um, and I don't mean on phones in their actual lives, you know, how we hang out with somebody, how we're there for them when they need us, how this little guy I have to take to the bathroom needs me and loves me. That's an importance, but it's not an importance that can inflate my ego. It's a, it's a humbling importance. And I think we're all lacking that. I feel like that's such a big difference. And I feel like that's why it's different. I did the humbling importance versus the the bolstering importance, that false sense of of, of flattery almost. I mean it's it's strange to describe it because I'm not exactly sure I, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it in a way that makes sense. I know exactly what you mean though. You know, it's it's this inflated self-importance. It's almost a facade um, that you create that you now have to live up to. And it's it's an imbalance too, right? Because um the importance of image is a one-way importance. I am important to these people, but they're not important to you. Not in that dynamic, unless they do what you're doing. You know, like you're earning importance, right? Because I make these images and I put out these words, I am important to these people. But they're not important to me, except when they do the same thing. When they put out their crafted images, then they earn my interest in them. Whereas in real life, when, you know, like he needs me, but I need him, the dog. And there's a, 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 a balance, a mutualness to real life importance. 
you know, a child can't, uh, you have a broken relationship if the child needs the parent, but the parent doesn't need the child. Sure. Or the friend, one friend needs the, the, the other friend, but it doesn't go back. Then that's not a good, that's not a real friendship. Oh man, I've been struggling with that lately. That's a whole other can of worms that we can dive into. Well, we do have time. Yeah, I'm not even. It's it's hard to 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 dive into that part of the conversation because of how close these people are to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to use names. Yeah, but I don't think people want to know names, anyways. Yeah, that's true. It the weirdest part is for those facade versions of you to become friends because that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be friends with that person in real life. Say that in different words. I'm not sure I got what you meant when you said okay. facade. Okay, so, 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 you, so you know this, this image version we create for ourselves in social media, right? Yeah, we'll call um, it the cool lamb. So we'll say cool lamb, right? And let's say a fictitious name. I'm going to use Stephanie. Let's say there's a cool Stephanie, all right? And cool lamb and cool Stephanie are friends on social media because we make each other more cool. And then we meet each other in real life and we don't get along quite as well as our cool selves want us to. (laughs) Yeah, because your friendship between Cool Lamb and between Cool Stephanie is a friendship in quotation marks. How strange that reconciliation is in your brain cannot be described unless you've had to go through it. And going back to what you said before, before current social media, I, I can't think of an example right now. I'm sure there's somebody from current social media where this has happened. But one of my longest and closest friends is somebody I met on MySpace. Mm. My, I think you've met her, my friend Stacy. Oh, yeah, sure. We met on Facebook. I mean, uh, MySpace. <laughs> That's funny. But that, I mean, maybe that goes back to what I was saying about MySpace was closer to true interaction. And I'm not saying people don't meet people on Facebook or whatever and become real friends in real life. I'm just saying I don't know that I have necessarily. Hmm. At least not that I can think of now. If if you're listening, the person that, <laughs> that became my friend in real life through current social media, and I'm not thinking of you right now, sorry. Once again, it's live for me. Do you have an example of how that didn't work out? You mean where uh, I met somebody and I didn't like them? Where where the cool yous met and it just didn't it, it, it didn't pan out the way either of you thought it would? Um. Yeah. Lots of times, mostly with women. Okay. Then I'm glad I'm not the only one because I, yeah. I I I felt strange thinking that other people didn't have that experience, but I assumed that other people did. You're just giving me confirmation of that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's been definitely a bunch of, or um, there's also the awkwardness of like, Oh, we know each other. No, no, we don't. So or, what, do we, what do we talk about? <laughs> yeah. Or that super weird experience of having someone come up and, and talk to you about your posts um, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm still super weirded out by that. Yeah, people come up with us like, "Oh yeah, I saw you." And what's what's her face's Instagram? Or, or even weirder is they'll walk up to you and say, "Hey, how was that one event that yeah. whatever artist or what concert you went to or whatever?" I'm like, I don't even know your name. I have no idea who you are. 
that's the kind of stuff that made me stop wanting to post anything personal anymore. Um, not because I had any creepy or any bad things. Um, and I'm sure you're not saying that that was like a stalker type thing or anything. No, like that. no, not at all. Yeah. It is just weird when confronted with the reality of what you're posting. Um, I mean, I've had through the, through the many, many things that I've, I've done online over the years, I've had people who have followed many things and there's an insinuated intimacy to that relationship that's not real. Um, it doesn't mean that the person's not a good person or, you know, any of those things, but there's an insinuated in- intimacy, especially um, when I was putting out a lot of writing or like when I was vlogging was actually is a perfect example. I was literally showing you what seemed like my day. You know, of course it's edited and uh, you're not seeing my whole day. There was an, an insinuated level of intimacy there that when you actually confront it in reality is actually really uncomfortable. Um, you know, like people start to feel a certain, I'm trying not to say this in a mean way because I don't mean this in a mean way, but some of the words sound mean. People seem to think that they have a right to certain things about you. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that people that are like famous have this problem all the time. Um, they just maybe don't see it as easily because they have so many people following them and messaging them. But you sure. do something um, creatively or you do something maybe, you know, it's just like I went to get tacos from this place. And people assume that they have a right to tell you what you should and shouldn't do the way that a friend would. But in reality, they're still just a stranger to you. Does that make sense? Am I, am I explaining that right? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, and I feel, like, I feel like people will, if they listen carefully, they'll understand what you're talking about because I think anyone who has any social media account that has spent any reasonable amount of time on it has had that experience. And it's, it's not anything against the people doing it because these things make it feel intimate. You know, they, they fake an intimacy. Um, but when you're the person putting stuff out and you're getting that back, there's a certain line where you go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> sure. You know, like, and because I think that um, like people with the vlog, the vlogs is a perfect example. People watching the vlog feel closer to me than I feel to them because I'm not watching their day. They're watching mine. Right. So all I'm getting from them is a sentence or two. What they're getting from me is hours and hours of video of my life. So they feel closer to me, but to me, they're still just little names and avatars. You know, I, I, I become familiar and friendly with those names and avatars, but that's all they are. I don't know anything else about them. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that I felt that way. Um, and I'm not even sure if it's, it's something that, that, I was conscious of, of, of owning at the time, but I definitely felt like there were parts of your life that I now had a right to that I probably shouldn't have had a right to. And I think I always, go back, <laughs> I always go back to Casey Neistat where he said he had gotten a taxi and the taxi driver asked him about his daughter and used his daughter's name. Oh, that's weird. And it's, it, people think, well, what's so bad about that? It's weird if you're a parent <laughs> to have a stranger ask you about your toddler like how's your toddler doing and use the toddler's name 
Yeah, that's, that's creepy, man. That's weird. And the person's not trying to be creepy. They're trying to be very nice. But oh, you sure. opened a door, a one-way door, that when stuff starts coming back through that door, it gets really weird. And I think that slowly people are starting to realize that. I know Casey did. He's like, he stopped filming her face. Yeah, I can imagine. He's like, I don't want people to know what she actually looks like. You know, because God forbid, like, you know, like somebody's like, oh, there's Casey Neistat's daughter. Who knows what what their intention is knowing that now? Yeah, that is 100% not okay, man. That's why I I have so much respect for like what Madonna did with with her daughter. Like keeping her out of the spotlight completely. Um, You know, you don't get to see her face. Because she gets to be her own person. But then there's also all the creepy stuff that goes along with that too, because she's so famous. But yeah, I, I can't imagine being the the child of an iconic pop star that is basically a once in a generation level of pop star. Yeah, or just being the kid of like somebody who's on TV that's not even that famous. Even that has just got to be the weirdest level of attention. Sure. Yeah, so far beyond any any kind of comfort level that I would have about it. I think that there's an assumption that a lot of us make or have made. Um, I know that at a certain point, this is when I was much younger, I never understood where, um, uh, at the time I would use the term, famous people. never understood why famous people didn't share more. You know, why didn't you tell me more? about this. I want to know more about your life. And these are the things that I want to know. Well, now that, and granted, I'm not comparing myself to fame, but now that I know what it's like to be on the other side of that one-way door, I know why they have walls built. And now now just take that version that you understand it, or take that version of it as you understand it and enhance it by a thousand times. Right. And like my, my experience was small and it was kind. Imagine if it was more intense and negative. Ugh. You know, like somebody wants to kill you or somebody just shits on you every day on social media. Yeah, and there are definitely people for whom that happens. I mean, even even perfectly well-minded, well-intentioned people get their fair share of, of criticism and shit on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. You know, like going back to that um, Mr. Rogers documentary, even Mr. Rogers got shit. <laughs> He's Mr. Dan Rogers. Come on. I know. Who the fuck were those people? Those people need to get a life. If, yeah. you, if you're spending your time shitting on Mr. Rogers, Jesus. Hmm. Um, I have a, I have a, you know, I always like to bring up the synchronicities, Lamb. Um, I have a really good synchronicity for you. This one, um, this is metaphorical, but it almost made me poop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to everything we've talked about in this episode and quitting social media and removing them from my phone and all of this stuff, right? So I have my little pocket notebook and I have a black um, space pen, the bullet space pen, right? Um, And I used to have, I used to carry field notes, but I went to these, um, they're called word notebooks (laughs) because they have these little bullets. um, So I can check things off when I've, you know, when I'm done with it because everything in here moves somewhere else. But I used to have field notes and I used to have a brass space pen. And one day I could not find the brass space pen. 
I looked everywhere. I'm like, I, I, I must have dropped it. I must have lost it somewhere. And then that's why I bought this black one. Um, so I would say maybe a year and a half. No, I guess, I guess it was almost two years. It was almost two years that I lost. Two, two years ago, I lost that. And the other day, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. And I had like these, sorry if I'm being too descriptive, but I think these <laughs> details are fairly important. Um, I had these like olive green pants on and I went to put on a jacket and I'm like, that looks a warm jacket. That looks really ridiculous. It's like a pea coat, but these pants I had are like, um, you know, they have elastic at the bottom, like sweatpants. Um, so it looks stupid wearing a pea coat with those kind of pants. You know, I look like an idiot. I'm like, okay, you I can't look like a homeless. Yeah, you look like a, 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 a mentally challenged person. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, yeah, I look like Rain Man. Maybe um, I go okay. I got. I can't wear this jacket, so I put the jacket back. And I have my great great grand great 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 grandfather's just one great my great grandfather's coat. He had like this trench coat and it's also olive green. So yes, it's kind of a trench coat and maybe it looks a little ridiculous with those pants, but at least the color matched. So I was like that, it, it looked a little bit better. Yeah. It's in the ballpark. Sure. Yeah. I looked less ridiculous. So I put it on and I put my, my black space pen and my word notebook in the pocket, take the dog for the walk. I come back. Without thinking of it, you know, I'm used to just taking these things out of my pocket. So I take them out of my pocket. In my head, I don't know I did it. It's a subconscious action. I go to hang the jacket up and I'm like, it feels a little heavy. You know, you're holding it by the, the nape and so I'm shaking it. I'm like, it's a little heavy. So I start like frisking it. And I'm like, oh, and I, I feel a notebook and the space pen. And I'm like, oh, I, I left my notebook and my space pen in there. I pull it out. It's Field Notes notebook with the brass pen. From two years ago, <laughs> I haven't worn that jacket in two years. So I go, oh, that's where that went. And I'm totally stoked because number one, I found this pen. So I have a backup of like my favorite little everyday carry pen. And I love the way the brass one looked. So I'm totally stoked about that. But then I'm also stoked because I have this field notes notebook from two years ago that I haven't seen for two years. So I'm wondering like, what kind of stuff did I write in there? What kind of cool things can I find in there? Interesting. So I sit down and later I sit down and I open that little notebook and I read the first page and I flip to the second page. This is, these are the words I read. Deleted all social media off my phone. I've done it before, <laughs> but hopefully it sticks this time. <laughs> oh man. But here's the best part about it. And this is the synchronicity weird part about it. That entry was from February 11th. 2017. February 11, 2019 was the approximate date that I deleted social media apps off of my phone. That is hilarious. How weird is that? That is really strange. And then I think I told you last week, I've been like doing deep dives on the talking heads. Page six, talking heads. Jeez. Really weird. Speaking of which, um, I actually remember that coat that pen and that field notebook. <laughs> yeah. Because you, 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 you couldn't be caught without them at some point. That's true. See, absolutely true. I have a recommendation for you, by the way, that I've been waiting weeks and weeks to tell you about. What do you got? It's something I've never done on this show before. I'm going to tell you about a game. 
You have to, I think it's like $10. You, you have to get this game. I think it's, I think it's on like all platforms, but I, I thought I did it on the iPad and it was easiest on the iPad because it's um, touch navigation, you know, like click here to make the character walk there. Yeah. It's called oxen free, like all the, all the oxen free. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, lamb, the coolest fucking game. I don't even, I don't even want to tell you anything about it. It's just, it's one of those games where, um, where you have to move the character around and um, you get into conversations and, um, you know, you have to pick one of three things to say. But what's interesting about this one is, number one, they pop up as um, cartoon bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't react within like five or six seconds, then your character just doesn't say anything. So you have, like, you have like a time limit on certain things. So you can get out of certain conversations. So you'll like be in a conversation and you're like, I, you look at your three responses. You're like, I'm, I can't stand by any of those. So you just say nothing. I cannot believe you're recommending a game. That, that's got to be some kind of game if you're it's, actually recommending a game to me. The, the, I mean, it's, it's an amazingly designed game. It looks really fucking cool. And it's a really fun game. But the thing about it is, you know how dialogue in games sucks? Yeah, you know, usually pretty terrible, yeah. There's always like a, the dialogue in this is so well written and the voice actors are like legit. So like it doesn't feel fake like most games do. It, I mean, sure. like it's immediately immersive and it's, it's just a fascinating story. There's all kinds of like uh, paranormal stuff in there that happens, but it's just play the game, lamb, buy the game, play the game, tell us what you think of it because. It's cool. It's it's the only game that I've ever recommended. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We circle around to all of the things that we used to do in all of the various other shows accidentally. Like we used to do this all the time when we were talking about technical badass, badassery, you know, apps and games and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. this is the first time I've ever actually heard you recommend anything game-like in any of those mediums at all. So that's fascinating. I don't know why I ended up downloading it, but I just did and I started playing it and I'm like, just literally like a minute into the game, I'm like, this is fucking rad. Okay, Oxenfree, got it on the list. I played it and I think I, I went through the whole thing in like two days because I, it's just so immersive. Huh. Um, do you remember anything from your list or do you have anything that you want to talk about? Uh, man, not that won't be a deep dive into something um i i actually am curious i don't know if you consume any of these things but i'm actually curious um if you think at some point the fascination with with reality shows is gonna die or 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 not just reality reality shows but like the talent shows like America's Got Talent or um, American Idol or any of those things like do you think do you think the the sheen of that's going to wear off anytime soon mm, that's a good question because i do feel like those tie into the social media thing because i think they're fueled by social media absolutely that's part of the reason why it's on my list and it's a it's a perpetual um i can't remember where i was going with that it 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 perpetuates. That's what it is. It perpetuates the um, the thing that we we're talking about with the false image. Um, sure. You know, because all these people are getting up there saying, "Why are they? They're doing the same thing that people are doing on social media." 
they want they think that they're going to become next Madonna or the next um, Alan Jackson. Do people even talk about Alan Jackson? I don't know why oh, that man. popped in my head. No, man, Whenever I, I have no to idea. think of examples, why, why the weirdest shit always pops ball. in my head. <laughs> the next Falco. <laughs> <laughs> but they all think that that's what's going to happen. But most of the people that win these things, they don't really... You know, I think what... like. Um, I don't follow these things, so you'll have to help me here because you probably know more people that know this stuff. But like Kelly Clarkson became pretty famous for a little while in real life outside of the show. Yeah. Um, anybody else? Um, Adam Lambert. Um, a few oh, that's Susan Boyle lady. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few. She was rad though. I liked yeah. her. I, somebody told me about that. And I'm like, all right, I got to watch this. Like, yeah. There's something awesome about that Susan Boyle thing because um, anybody that hasn't seen this, I'm going to put this in the show notes. I don't, uh, it's so funny. We're talking about if these things will ever go away and I'm going to make you guys watch something from it. But what's great about this is it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. The woman is not beautiful. She's not disgusting or anything. She's just not a, you know, like a glamorous woman. And she's not a young woman. And she has like a, it's a, I think X Factor was a show or something. So it's from England. So she has like, I think what's considered a Northern accent, which is considered less um, posh than a London accent. Um, and she's kind of goofy. So everyone's judging her when she gets up there. You know, this is going to be funny, you know, because people love those shows. From what I can tell, they love laughing at people sucking. So they're hoping that this lady is going to suck. And she doesn't. She brings down the fucking house. And there's something amazing about that and empowering about that. Because oh, it's I like, that. Yeah. it's a big fucking, it's a two, two-fisted middle finger. You know, that's the name of the title. Two-fisted middle finger. <laughs> two-fisted middle finger from Susan Boyle. <laughs> Am I the only person in the world that has a hard time watching people make, have, watching people embarrass themselves? I have such a hard time with that. I have zero interest in it. Yeah, it's, it's I don't like making fun of people. I think yeah, it, it's same here. I can't even get through it. Like it's so hard for me to watch. It's like tripping the mentally handicapped kid. Yeah, like, why? Why? You think why? it's funny, really? Well not, well, not only that, but making a big spectacle out of it, and then making it okay for everyone to 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 watch Gawk laugh and point. Why? Yeah, why is the impulse to do that? I think that the reason that it sticks around is because it feeds a darker side of ourselves. Mm. Sure. It, you know, it feeds the, 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 the power of the mob. Well, no, it feeds the, I'm not as bad as that person. Oh, sure. Ugh. You know, which like, is, which sure, but my life, my, I'm not totally pleased. I'm not living my dreams. This person's trying to and they failed. So number one, ha ha, at least I didn't make an ass of myself. And then there's the also, see, it's a good thing I didn't try to follow my dreams because when you try to follow your dreams, shit like that happens. It just gives you an out. Yeah, that's terrible. It's awful. You guys should live your dreams and fuck people who laugh at other people because you know what they are? Assholes. And there's one thing we don't like on this show is assholes. Well, if anything, I don't even think it's that they're assholes. I think they're they're just afraid and they're using someone else to validate their fear. But they're being assholes. Yeah, and they're being assholes about it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, once again, people are redeemable. I believe that. I believe that all people, even the worst people, have some value as a human being. Even people, the worst people in history, 
were redeemable for one thing. That, or they could have been redeemable for one thing. But I feel like I feel like just from the conversations that I've had with Eric over the past like couple of weeks, I feel like that became a large part of your conversation with him. Oh, absolutely. We talked a lot about Louis C.K. actually. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that episode. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I say that about all of them, but that one was particularly good because it was really uncomfortable um, at sure. first. Um, I guess I'll just talk about this right now. Um, one of the things that was really difficult, I've known Eric for, I'm, I'm telling the audience, I know you know this because we've talked about it. I've known Eric for like 20 years. So number one, we have a lot of history. Um, and I was there when he went through a very big and very difficult divorce and his ex-wife is a very good friend of mine. Um, so it was, I avoided having him on that show because it was very difficult for me to figure out how to navigate that conversation because, um, much like this show, I don't plan and I don't steer things. I let them go where they go. And I wasn't sure how to negotiate that where it was possible that we could end up talking about his ex-wife. Um, and number one, maybe he wouldn't want to talk about that. So then it would be weird there. Or I don't know how somebody's feeling unless I asked them, right? This is what I had to learn. But who knows? I was, there's part of me is like, well, what if he says something that like offends her? And I know she listens. So now I'm a shithead for having um, him on. And him saying that because, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument with somebody on that show. I let people say what they say. Um, so it was it was difficult. And what I had to do at, uh, at Lamb's, um, not beckoning, <laughs> through Lamb's help, um, I ended up realizing, you know, like, I at least need to tell him why. I've, you know, because slowly all the people we know were slowly making it on the show and he wasn't. So it was apparent that I was avoiding it. Or <laughs> maybe it was apparent, uh, uh, or maybe it looked like I was purposely not having him on, which is even worse, right? So eventually I had to communicate to him. This goes back to what you've been saying for a long time, Lamb, is have those difficult conversations. I had to tell him, you know, I've, I'm sorry, I've been avoiding this because. I feel uncomfortable with how to do this. And, um, and I, you know, I said all the things that I just said to you and I got a very great response back and I was like, all right, you know, then let's do it. Let's do it. So I went into that episode, like really um, still a little bit nervous, but um, more just because I felt like once I expressed that stuff to him, some of it felt really stupid, which is often happens when you don't share things with people. <laughs> Um, so now I was afraid that, you know, I had prepped him for something far worse <laughs> than what was actually going to happen. <laughs> and that actually happened. Um, there's a point in there where it's like, he says in the episode, you'll hear it. He says, I was afraid you were going to come at me with some really hard hitting questions. I was like, no, that's not really what I meant. So obviously I didn't clarify. <laughs> so I had prepped him. So he probably went in a little bit afraid too, which is funny for people who've known each other that long. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. But, but the weird thing about shows like Creative Minds is it's easier to do them with strangers sometimes. Oh, um, I feel like that's almost always true. The easiest, the easiest is people that I already know, but I don't know well. That's the easiest because I know where to start and we don't know each other well enough for me to have to worry about 
um, having to negotiate any personal, um, I don't, I can't think of a better word, but dramas. Um, whereas with a stranger, some, I, I don't know where to start always. It, once it gets warmed up, I'm fine. And with people I know, the beginning's easy. It's the later part that gets hard. Well, I think that the trap you fall into too is the familiarity. Like you make assumptions that you, you slide into conversation too easily. So you skip a lot of steps. It's like not showing your math. All right. Um, like there's you know, a part so in there where we talk about um, when Eric used to walk up behind people and put his dick in their pocket. Like, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe that was something that should have just stayed between the two of us, but it's in there. <laughs> oh, I remember the stories of that too. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the first time I met Eric, um, God, early 20s, idiots. Um, we were at our mutual friend Carlos Grillo's house and um, he was inebriated, we should say. And I'd met him two, three minutes before and then he tackled me into a bush. <laughs> that's drunk Eric. And that and that was my lasting memory of him. Like that's 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 what that's what and I'm glad you ended up doing that episode, by the way, because it was I felt like I it, I felt like it was weirdly like subtly cathartic for everybody involved, including me. Um, because he knows that you and I do this show on a weekly basis. And he he I could tell that he wanted to ask me why the hell you hadn't invited him to do the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and I literally, I, at, at that point, I was seeing him like two or three times a week. So it was, it was even weirder um, that we had this, this like I, I didn't know what to tell him. Um, right. and, and I'm glad that you first explained it to me and then you ultimately explained it to him as to how and why that hasn't happened. And I, I thought that was, a really, that was a really warm moment for all parties involved uh, because there's, there, you, you wouldn't have felt the need to not do it unless you cared. Yeah. And, that's, and I think, I mean, and I think, I think that impulse for empathy among all parties is what ultimately defines why I like your other show and why I think we work well here too, as well is that there's always this undercurrent of empathy. Um, like all we want is for people to be happy and more creative and more connected. Right. And I feel like that comes out in the show in very strange ways that are sometimes not obvious, but that to me was a very obvious one. What I think is maybe some people don't understand about that show, which is very an interesting topic that this is totally from. There's, um, I don't know how to word this. There's a weird negotiation process that has to go on in the back end, when especially when you're having on people you know. Um, like, for example, I had on Colin, but I, um, I didn't have on Sarah, which is for people who don't know. Colin and Sarah are married. Sarah is also Eric's ex-wife. Um, I didn't have Sarah on right after Colin. Why? Because I want when Sarah goes on for her to be seen as an individual person, not as a tack on to Colin. You know, like he had on Colin, then he had on his wife. I don't sure. want it to be seen that way. So I have to think about that. But now I've I had Eric on. Well, now I need to spread out the distance before I have Sarah on because I don't want it to feel like that's clustered together and that there's any connection there because they used to be married, you sure. know, or um, like Strata, you know, like I had on Ryan and I had talked to Harag when he's, when he's ready with his app, have him on so he can tell me about the app that he's working on. And then eventually I was obviously negotiating my way through 
out of having Eric on, but I had to do some personal negotiation, but I wanted to spread those out. Um, because I, all of these things, you have to think about how people are related to each other, but you also have to think about how people will perceive the groupings. Not only the people being invited will perceive the groupings, but how the audience can perceive them. And I always want to do it in the most um, flattering way for the guests. You know, like the, the example of not having Sarah right after Colin is a perfect example of that. I want her to feel that she stands as an individual, sure. not as a tack on to someone else. And that's, of all the things I have to do with that show, that's probably been the most difficult. Yeah, I imagine that the, that's something you have to constantly manage. That's got to be difficult. Plus, considering that for better or for worse, you have a lot of reasonably famous and or influential friends. Um, that all happen to either know each other or have been involved in projects together or have been involved in relationships together at some point in their past, that navigating that becomes delicate, for lack of a better word. Yeah, you know, I haven't had to go through like, oh, this person used to be in a band with this person, but now they're not talking. Like, I haven't had to navigate that, but it will happen. Um, yeah, sure. But the, it's like I've always said about uh, the way that I treat the guests over there. Um you know, like I don't argue with them because they have a right to express whatever they want to express. I'm not there to win something, but it's also about thinking about those kind of things too. And when I share things, making sure that, you know, that they sound their best, you know, always, always doing whatever I can, like they're coming into my home and I'm being a good host. Sure. Whereas here, it's like you and I live in a frat room and we can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> we have bunk beds, man. A frat room? What the fuck is a frat yeah, what room? What the fuck is a frat room? I was thinking... I was thinking a room in a frat room. to figure out what the hell you were talking about. Frat room. You know, frat room. That's where the frats live. Now, I, I always see, whenever we're doing the show, you know what the way I, I visually uh, imagine the show is that you're on the top bunk and I'm on the bottom bunk and we're about to go to sleep at summer camp and we're just talking. That's so funny because that was when I had my freshman, when I was in my freshman year of college, my roommate, I was on top bunk and he was on the bottom bunk and we used to talk uh, all the time. <laughs> oh my God. See, exactly. Exactly. So uh, go find a bunk bed, people, and have a good, that's it. You know, you know, talking about real conversations, but yeah, those kind of conversations, that's the kind of shit we're all missing. Every single one of us. Yeah. And you don't realize how much you, you're missing it until you have one and you realize how long it's been since you had one. Yeah. And it fills you up. It really does. Um, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to experiment with something this week since we've been giving each other like challenges or something. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing. Maybe maybe we can make that something we do every time is, you know, we, we like to challenge the audience to something, but each of us walk out with, I'm going to do this this week. I'm going to do this this week. Um, and then we can bring that back because I, I like that. I like that continuity. It feels nice for me. How do you feel about that? I like that too. I have a challenge for myself. Um, That's, I think we should challenge ourselves most of the time. Okay. Got it. All right, go. What do you got? No, no, you start. Uh, I'm gonna I always know. start. I'm a mouthy motherfucker. This is going to be a brutal one for me. I don't, I'm not even sure how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm feeling it in the moment. So I'm just going to fucking say it. And if, if that means that I have to do it, then that means I have to do it. I'm going to delete all email apps off my phone. Wow. I'm going to die this week. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, hold on. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, number one, tell us why. 
And then, uh, um, and what, what is that going to actually mean when you say I'm going to die? Like really let, let people understand. I understand. Cause I can, I'm literally looking at the image of your, of your home screen right now while we're talking. So I understand what that means. Well, the sheer number of emails I receive on a daily basis from four individual sources, um, is staggering. Like my work one alone, for example, I receive between 20 to 30 emails, um, ten, at least 10 of which require a response within a few hours, some of which require a response even sooner than that. And that's just one out of four. Um, and I constantly, you, you know what it feels like? I feel like, I feel like I'm constantly on fire. I feel like someone's constantly poking me with a hot prod. And so every time I see a notification pop up on my phone, I feel I feel the sting of that, and I'm sick and tired of that feeling. I get it. I get it a hundred times a day. So and, how, how and are you going to navigate without those on your phone? I'm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to. I, I I've been talking about doing this for a year, and I'm just going to do it. I need to train everyone in my life that I communicate via email at certain times of the day, and if they need to reach me, then they need to do it at a certain time. What I think that will ultimately produce is that people won't email me just because it's convenient and they happen to be in front of a computer, they will bundle their thoughts together and they will send me shit in such a way that I can actually, that's, that's actually useful for both parties. Not, can you imagine like if someone sent you a PowerPoint presentation with eight bullet points on it, but they send you each bullet point individually? That's what I get every day. Instead of writing like one paragraph in text messages, they send you one sentence at a time. Yeah, I'm done with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out that email at the beginning of next week. So I'm going to do that on Monday because I don't want to do it on a Friday. And I'm going to tell everybody, okay, guys, um, from now on, um, I'm going to be checking my email. I think at first I'm going to do it at three different times throughout the right. day. That's probably the way to start. Yeah, just because I don't want to panic people. So I'll probably say you know, 10 a.m., um, 1 p.m., and 4 p.m. And then I'm, prob- I'm going to try to reduce it down to one within a couple of months. Yeah, what what I would suggest since I've done this before is number one, tell them why you're doing it so that they can sure. buy it. Oh yeah, on of it. course. Yeah, so, of you course. Know, like, uh, I'm feeling um, I'm feeling anxiety um, that I don't need to, and I'm feeling less productive because I'm sure. continually dipping into the app instead of doing what I'm doing. So sure. you know, tell them I want to be able to focus when I go into email, focus on giving all the answers I need to give, and then making sure it's all done. It's too easy to miss things when I dip in and out of my email app. That's a yep. really good reason that people buy in on. Sure. Knowing that you're doing it because you care about what they're sending you. Yeah. So so that's... A, I mean, I feel like people... It, it's going to be a rough adjustment period for most people. The other thing you want to do too, probably, is make sure that you unsubscribe from any shit that you keep getting that you put off unsubscribing from. Mm, sure. You know, there's all those things that we sign up for that seem like a good idea, but then after like 30 times that we received it and don't read it, we probably should unsubscribe, but we don't. Yeah, so I, I think I think what I will spend the weekend doing is maintenance. So I'm going to go through all four of those accounts and make sure I unsubscribe essentially to everything that I don't need. Yep. Um, and then on Monday, I'm going to put out the email, man. I'm going to check my email three times a day. I'm only going to, I will not do it on my phone anymore. I just won't do it. Good. I, I will do it on my iPad or my laptop and call it a day. That's it. it I'm done. It is literally the worst place. And when you actually think about how strange of a concept it is to get email on your phone, you know, we've been trained that it's not weird, that that's normal, but it's weird. It's strange. It's not, it doesn't make sense. 
you know, this is a place where you're, you know, an email is an email because it's not a text message, right? A text message is supposed to be, uh, you know, you just shot off something real quick, right? Sure. An email is supposed to be longer, but yet we're, uh, we're just using it on this little phone. You know, we, you know what my goal is? My goal is to make using my, my phone a pleasant experience. I'll tell you what, you know what makes it a pleasant experience when you barely ever use it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, that, and and I think that that's like whenever I want, I want to have a sense of like fascination and wonder when I pull out my phone. Like if it's to play that game that you recommended or to, to read a certain book or to listen to a certain podcast, that's all I want to do on it, man. I don't want to, I don't want things that tether me to a world um, that I, I, I don't want to be tethered to all the time. Right. I agree. Um, and my thing for this week that I'm going to try, which could be death to everything that I create, but I'm going to try it because <laughs> it feels right. I am going to literally take my social media for the podcast um, down to where I only, only things I post are the links to the new episodes and then anything that I publish on the website. No more links to anything else. Interesting. So what I've been doing for people who don't know is, uh, you know, if I find an interesting article, it goes to social media um, and it mixes in with all the stuff, the other stuff that I produce. And instead, on Sundays, you know, I have this newsletter that goes out. Um, I think it's like five times a week right now. And there's something different every day of the week. Um, on Sundays, what goes out is the link roundup, which would be all of the stuff that I've posted on social media collected into one email with and it's actually better than getting on social media because I give an explanation of why I liked each of these things. I'm just going to only do it in that. And those go on the website too. So I can just link to that on social media on Sunday and be like, here's all the links that you could find from me from the week, except sure. all at once. Because why not? Well, you know what? The, the, I, I think the, the, we've talked about this before too, just the absence of choice, man. Yeah. Everyone's Absolutely. happier. <laughs> and the challenge to the audience for me, I think my challenge to the audience is find something that you've been avoiding, whether it is having a difficult conversation, deleting email apps off your phone, cutting social media out or back and tackle it. Just one thing. And uh, go over to holyfoolproductions.com and check out our stuff there. Go over to vacantroom.com. Give Lamb some love. You're going to post your... What were you going to post? I'm going to post my uh, chicken squirreled reactions to uh, my panic about social media. There you go. Okay, babies. We love you. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>